Just before we start, I just wanted to mention one thing quickly. Uh, Hellas and Co. and Sporting Club Hellas are independent missions. They're both run solely by myself. So if you could like, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff, it would mean the world. Check out hellasandco.com. And uh, without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome back to Hellas and Homies. I'm here with a very special guest, uh, first ever female in Hellas and Homies, and also uh, one of the faces of the upcoming World Cup. I'm here with Kat Haddad. Hello. Hello. Thanks very for coming well. on. Thank you for having me on. I didn't realize I was the first female. Yeah, you are. That actually is quite an honor. Thank <laughs> you so much. Hey, thank you for coming on. Um, so for people that are new to Kat's work, explain like sure. you and what you do. So I haven't had the most traditional entry, I guess, into sports media and presenting. But at this stage, I'm a presenter for Optus Sport. And I also have my own podcast show with online techies and Claude Fabiano called The Born Offside Show, which is... I love it. It's yeah, my it's favorite gone. thing that I do every week. Um, and outside of that, I do a lot of my own kind of content creation and stuff like that. I've worked on SBS, being sports, a few, anyone that will take me. It yeah. sounds like I'm just here offering any work to anyone. But I think, um, you know, I'm kind of at the stage in my career where you take on any yeah. football work as it comes. Um, but yeah, that's kind of what I do. So I, I call myself a sports presenter slash podcaster. So I'm in that space and just enjoying it taking each day as it comes. Yeah, that's mad. Um, for the upcoming World Cup, if you're an Optus Sports subscriber, you'll see Kat everywhere. Yep. You're covering all 64. So Optus Sport will cover all 64 live and free if you are a subscriber. And some games will be free to people that aren't subscribers as well. Yeah. I think that's just them trying to make the game more accessible, which is great. I will be part of a broadcast team that are following the Matildas. So we're up in camp in Brizzy with them before the games kick off. Then we're going to wherever the games are. So um, I'll be all over the social media coverage as well. Where are all our games? So Matildas are playing in Sydney and Melbourne and Brisbane. Yeah. In that order, I believe. And then depending on results after group stage and stuff like that, they either play in Melbourne, play in Sydney. So they're always going to be kind of East Coast, Australia. Yeah. But for those who don't know, the World Cup is Australia and New Zealand. So some countries are based solely in New Zealand, some are based here, and then all the finals will be played in Sydney. Yeah, right. Yeah. Is there any chance we end up with a game in New Zealand? No. We, we don't match We can't do that. Yeah, like we're, we're quite lucky in that Group B that we're in is all based here. Yeah. If we make it through group stages, kind of like the round of 16 quarterfinals, they all start to happen kind of East Coast, Australia. Yeah, right. So – the furthest they'll go is Brisbane from from Sydney. Yeah, right. Yeah. I was hoping we got New Zealand in New Zealand. Wouldn't that be cool? That would have been sick. I know. But um, no, so whoever's kind of wins in New Zealand will end up in Australia to play finals. Yeah, man. Yeah. Awesome. Um, explain like how this all started. The whole journey. The whole journey. Oh, where do I even start? It's such a good question because for me it's been such an evolution of interest and passion turned maybe I could make a career out of this so for context I'm 28 okay like I've been I've been I left school a long time ago I feel like I've had like three different careers at this point so coming out of high school I always had an interest in like football and sport in general my friends always used to say like you should do that like you should go into sports and coming from a background with parents in advertising and a brother who did finance I always felt like no, I've got to find something a bit more stable than that. Yeah, traditional. So went yeah. to uni, I studied broadcast media and then I ended up taking the adver- advertising route. So 
I worked in agencies. I worked for Nova, the radio station, in yeah, like right. on the sales side of things. So I always understood and I've always been in the audio industry but like in a different respect. And then I got over it. I quite literally woke up one day and said, I'm just not going the direction that I want to go anymore. Yeah. My, I became like the football girl at work. So at Nova it was really funny. Um, even though it was a sales team and everything, like I was the the sport girl and everyone would come to my desk and talk sport with me or yes, be like, oh, I saw, you know, Liverpool's results over the weekend. I had a rivalry with this tech guy who was a Barca supporter and I was, I'm a hardcore Liverpool supporter and it was during the Champions League. The Trent. Like like, yeah, yeah, like quickly. the corner taken quickly, Ariki, oh, that whole era. Yeah, that's mad. And we had this banter that everyone in the office knew about because he would like leave stuff on my desk, I'd leave st- stuff on his <laughs> desk, like whoever won. Um, even my ID at, at the um, business had a football jersey on it. So I think I just, it became a part of my personality. Yeah. And I woke up one day and I said, you know what, living in Spain was always a bucket list thing for me. I love the culture, the language. I attribute Fernando Torres for the 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 love of the game yeah, the initially. Yeah. Um, and that kind of introduction to Liverpool as well. So for me, living in Spain was always something that I wanted to do. And I kind of hit this rut at about like 23, 24, um, your age now. So yeah. I'm not trying to warn you that it's coming, <laughs> but it might come. Um, but I, I just hit a rut and I was like ready for change. And I remember like, I'm Lebanese, right? So when when you have an idea about something like you have to go and pitch that idea to your parents and be like yeah i've thought about everything i've weighed up the pros and cons i know what i'm doing and i went you know and spoke to my parents and i said i want to move to spain and this is my plan and i'm gonna save this amount of money and whatever and my parents looked at me and they were like great so now that you've told us we're gonna make sure you do it and i was like that was too easy. Yeah. But I think even they knew that there was this part of me that just like needed to go. And part of going was that I suppose aspiration to reconnect with football and like European football, you know what I mean? Go to England, go to Anfield, like do all these things for the first time. Yeah. And then I started a blog to kind of coincide with all of those. Kicking first, off with Cat. Kicking hey. off with Cat started. Kicking yeah. off with Cat kicked off in Spain. I wrote blog posts about, you know, the first time I went to Anfield or – going to Camp Nou for the first time and or a game at Camp Nou for the first time. Like those are unbelievable football experiences. They're kind of like religious experiences for people who grow up with the yeah. game. And so, um, yeah, it all started there in España and I loved it and it was an amazing experience and I got to go to England a little bit and go to games. But then COVID struck and I came back here. How long were you in Spain for? For a year. Just under that's, a year, actually. Yeah, that's not as long as I thought. No. Well, same. I, I think back and it was like living in this alternate reality for, for yeah. a hot minute and I made great friends and I felt like a local for, for all of five minutes but um, came back here and had a full existential crisis. It was it was COVID. Everyone was having a crisis yeah. at this time but um, I just I, – I've had a taste of this kind of football life and I connected with a – someone for me who was kind of like a role model, which is Jules Breach. Yeah. Um, I was very fortunate to meet her, connected through friends, and she became a real role model for me and somebody that I would often confide in on, like what's my next step look like, and and she would help me a lot. And her advice was so straightforward and it was always just start, just start doing things that will take you a step closer to where you want to be. And when I got back here I started podcasting, kind of doing what you're doing in yeah. the sense of, 
just going like no one's going to do it for me. I'm just going to throw myself into a studio and I'm going to start having the conversations that I want to have and start creating the things I want to create. And they're always the football related. Podcast called? It was called Football Chat with May and Kat. Yeah, and so right. I had a friend in England who is an avid football fan. I'd say she knows more about the game than I do, but never wanted a career out of it. She's just passionate. Yeah. And I used to call her in once a week yeah, and we'd right. set up an interview with someone um, and we called it Football Chat with May. Who'd you interview? A few people. So um, obviously like the Speranza brothers because, yeah. you know, I know them very well. Um, they're hilarious. Yeah, you, funny. I, I, I'm just the biggest fan of, of the Speranza family. They're so nice. Um, Keegan Lindeboom is a player. He's a South African Kiwi guy who was playing for Bangkok FC at the time. So that was a bit yeah. of an interesting kind of chat that we could have. It's nuts over there, eh? South oh my, Asia. The stories that he told us yeah. were for insane. People wondering, like NPL one, you get like what five hundred to three thousand people. Some of those guys go over to Southeast Asia, and on a on a big day, what's his name? Aaron Evans, I think. He played in front of a hundred thousand people. Yeah. The Indonesian football, people yeah. don't understand. Yeah. You don't understand. I remember having a conversation with a taxi driver when I was in Bali and I said, I've heard that football is really big here. And he's like, he just started going off about yeah. how they live and breathe it. And it's violent. Like the fans are violent over there. Like we yeah. talk about issues here. Yeah, not as Go well. to Indonesia yeah. if you if you think that it's bad here. But um, he, w- he was an interesting one to talk to. And then we also spoke to Alicia Bass, who I went to high school with. She played Newcastle Jets for a while. Um, but, yeah, just people like that. Anyone I had access to. And that's the thing, like, and, and that I suppose kind of um, is part of the advice to anyone who's listening and wants to do what I'm doing is just start and talk to whoever you have access to. doesn't matter if it's NPL or if it's a Sunday League player. Like, everybody's got a story. Yeah. So just start. Telling those stories. Yeah. That's kind of how it began. And then that snowballed into meeting Claude's for Born Offside. And then we created that. And then quite literally everything has evolved from Born Offside. Yeah. Born Offside is one of the top sport podcasts in the country. Recently you interviewed Anton Ferdinand like a week ago (laughs) hey, or something like that. Yeah. But before that you interviewed his brother who some people say is most probably the greatest centre back they've ever seen. Yeah. What was it like for you? Because you actually sat down with him as well. It's not yeah. like a Zoom call. Like a Zoom call, I feel like it can be good. It is. It is good. But like, there's a, like a there's a level of like uh, energy exchange when you're actually in the room together. Oh, for sure. That like obviously can't translate through a computer. No. And you sat like Rio came to Australia, and you guys sat down with him. Yeah. What was it like sitting like sitting down with someone? Was it hard to like keep your composure? Yes. Yeah, very... I'd be shitting it, eh? So I'm an Arsenal fan too, but like I still would have like. Well, I'm a Liverpool fan, but <laughs> yeah, but I. And, and he's, you know, caused some real havoc for Liverpool throughout the years, especially for Steven Gerrard. But I, you know, it's such an honour to meet somebody who at the end of the day, regardless of who you support, they're on that kind of pedestal, yeah. right? Like they have... Champions League winner. Like, yeah. The, the accolades are there. You can't deny their skill, their talent. You yeah. can't deny like the influence they've had on the game. And also from a from a cultural perspective and looking at like the challenges that Rio's had from like a racial perspective too, him and his brother, he's played a really important role for um, people in England yeah. and, and and globally as well who are mixed race or of a from a minority in terms of finding their place in the game. So I think he represents a lot more than just football. Yeah. And it was really cool to talk to him. 
I mean, we've talked to some great people through the podcast and I've met some great people in the job that I have. Um, like Sam Kerr, for example, like when I met her, like I lost my shit. I would. I don't, I never thought I was that type. Like I, I really can poker face it in yeah. most scenarios, but I just lost my shit around Sam because she's so chill. And I was like, well, if you're so chill, like I felt like I was almost overcompensating for like how relaxed she was. So I was giving too much energy. But anyway, that was so funny. But Rio, um, you know, he's just got this presence about him where you just know that he's. Yeah, like proper center He's back just presence. the shit. Like he just, and and not in a, he's not full of himself, but he you can just tell that he's like, he knows who he is and he's very confident in who he is. And he was so friendly and talkative and he gave us, you know, all the time to, to ask all the questions we needed. And it was definitely a highlight of my career so far talking to him. Yeah. That yeah. would be nuts. Hey, like what, two years ago you were doing your own thing. Yeah. And two years ago, like pretty much to the day I was doing essentially what you're doing now, which is yeah. your um, own show, type my own stuff. show, which, yeah. and like, I mean, it didn't look this good. Like this is high quality. Yeah, shit. Shout out like, the boys. Thanks this for was the not my situation, but, um, I think it goes to show how quickly things can evolve when you're doing what you love. Yeah. Who was your first guest that you kind of like, like, holy shit, like I, this mm. is hard to like kind of keep my composure and hold a conversation. That's a really good one. I don't feel like there's something about talking to Aussies, right? Like yeah. Sam Kerr was probably the first person where I genuinely felt like I'm not hiding it very well, that I'm really excited to meet this person. And that's, I think that also goes back to being female. We're of a similar age. Like I grew up at a time where like we didn't have female football idols. Like I yeah. looked up to Fernando Torres or Drogba or like all these players who were big at the time but not because they were female, just because yeah. you knew that they were killing it in the game. But um, I definitely lost at meeting Sam, most definitely. In I terms would. of I put a off. post up saying she's like most probably the greatest Australian footballer of all time. Yeah. By the time she's done. Did you least. ruffle a couple of feathers with that? Oh, it was fucking bad. Oh, yeah. It was bad. Yeah, I, stood my, like, I stood my ground on it because I just said like contextually because the whole problem with the argument is like they compare her to Tim Cale and stuff like that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it makes no sense. But like contextually by the time she's done, um, Timmy's hard to compare because he played for Everton. Yes. And Kuehl's hard to compare because he dropped off the face of a cliff when he kind of like went to Galatasaray and stuff. Yeah. But like, yeah, some of those footballers, they didn't win the most trophies, but they like especially Kuehl and Viduka yeah. are like yeah. nuts talent. But Sam, on the so other talented. hand, is like winning everything, but also the striker. So it's like by the time she's done, she's probably going to have the award. Yeah. I mean, she's already surpassed Cahill in terms of scoring the most goals, like international yeah. goals. I think it's one of those things where it's this vicious cycle of comparison. Yeah, but like shocking. there is, it's for me, it's the, it's not the same, but it's like the Messi Ronaldo debate. They are so different. They, it might be the same era of football. I mean, it's not even the same era of football with Kerr and Cahill, but with Ronaldo Messi, it's the same era of football, but their journeys are so different. And when you put them side by side, they're so different the yeah. journey that they took you know Messi is like that one club man and he had that kind of loyalty to Barcelona for from La Masia all the way up until very recently and then yeah. Ronaldo was able to dominate in all of these different yeah. leagues so it's so different to have the goat debate and I feel the same way about Sam and Tim Cahill in the sense that it's a woman really dominating in what is a growing sport yeah. you can't deny that women's sport has grown a lot but we're talking about like being a pioneer to an extent. Yeah. 
Tim Cahill is part of that like golden era of Socceroos, but men's football had been around a lot longer. Like he he didn't really have any shoes to fill. He he created the shoes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whereas Sam, you know, has that comparison to existing or or pre-existing sports stars, but also she's setting the tone for like what this new world of women's football looks like. Yeah. So for me, it's like such a an irrelevant argument. It's like let's just appreciate them both for what they've contributed and the fact that they're Aussies and we can be proud of them. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. She's kind of like um, Charles Perkins. Yeah. Like the influence he had yeah. on the game. Yeah. Like what Sam will have. By the time Sam's done, because you never appreciate something when no. like it's with you. By the time Sam's retired, we'll appreciate like how much yeah. she did. Same with Charles Perkins. Didn't even play for that long. No. Man United wanted him. His first Indigenous player in the Australian squad, maybe in the NSL at the time as well. Probably. And then first Indigenous man to get a university degree as well. Like, yeah, I think Sam will be on that level of like Charles Perkins, Sam Kerr, Johnny Warren, Les yeah. Murray. She'll those be with guys. like those names that yeah. like made Australian football 100%. really go to new levels. 100%. And I think um, like there are women that came before Sam, but – she, you, you can't deny the influence she's had on the game. And I was at a conference today when they where they were talking about women's sport and where it's heading. And Kathy Freeman came up all the time. Like everybody remembers Kathy Freeman and that moment for people of color and what she represented and how she was celebrated for who she is and what she represented and like that whole history behind her. And I think we're stepping into a moment with this World Cup where we're going to have moments like that, Kathy Freeman yeah. moment. And it's almost like getting ready for like the influence that's going to have on the yeah. younger generation. And like it's exciting for me, but it's way more exciting for younger girls and boys. Yeah. So it's, it's an exciting time. I think if Sam, was it the FA Cup final like two years ago where she hit the volley? I think so. I like think it was FA Cup, if she, yeah. If she does something like that, that volley. Oh, any, we're ready. Yeah. Like we're if waiting If she does something like it. that for Australia, it would be like no. etched in the books. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it will be insane. Besides Sam, is there anyone else? Like with Anton Ferdinand, right? Yeah. Take away the – oh, shit. <laughs> Sorry. No, you're right. Um, We'll just continue. So with Anton Ferdinand, take away the name, he's still a Premier League footballer, mm. still – I think he like kind of gets put on a pedestal because of his brother, but mm. at the same time, to play in the Premier League, you you can't deny his top own zero, journey. yeah, zero zero point one percent of footballers, right? Yeah, interviewing him, who was kind of your regular run of the mill footballer in terms of like at the elite level, do you yeah. get like starstruck still doing that, or is that kind of normal? Do you know what? I don't get starstruck in the sense of like I can't believe I'm talking to this person. I think I get a thrill out of it being my job. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. kind of like um, I think you know that it that, that interview moment is so much bigger than me face-to-face with somebody that everybody knows. Like I don't see it like that. I, If anything, I get more overwhelmed about it being, it doing everyone who's listening justice. Like am I asking the right questions? Is it like the nervousness that I feel is not about the person but more so like Am I getting what people want out of this conversation? Yeah. So it's it's more like that like presenter cap comes on or that interviewer cap comes on and I'm I'm no longer me like just fangirling. It's how can I make this the best conversation possible? So like with Anton delving into, you know, like it's it's one thing to be a professional footballer. It's another to be the brother of like, like you said, one of the best 
Ever centre backs, yeah. Centre backs in the world in the history of the game. That's a rather same position as well. Yeah, I mean, he was he really delved into like the expectation that he grew up around, yeah. and um, you know, and how it's on one end he's like, I knew that my name would open doors for me, but it's my skill that would keep those doors open, right? Yeah. And so it's such an interesting way of looking at it because when you do have a famous name or a famous relative like that, like sure it'll open doors for you, but Rio didn't create his West Ham career and Rio didn't do those things for him at the end of the day. It was his own ability to push through the expectation and go like I am who I am and my journey will be different to my brothers and I'll play for different teams. And, you know, he had a few moments in his career that really hit hard for him yeah. in terms of like the missed penalty, I think. Yeah, the in West that, Ham. Yeah, in yeah. that um, – I believe it was an FA Cup final. Yeah, yeah. 2005 or six. Yeah, yeah, something yeah. like that. He, um, you know, he said that he would think about it every single day and it's only now that West Ham have just won the Europa Conference League that yeah. he's like that lifted a weight off his own shoulders. So I think it was just it's fascinating to talk to people like that who to an extent you almost feel like because you know so much about them that their story is very obvious, but it'll be things you don't expect that yeah. that come out of it. So, yeah, I think my focus is always more nervous, uh, nerves around saying the right things and getting the right information out of, out of the conversation. And with Rio, that's how I felt too. So I was obviously starstruck star to an extent to be talking to Rio, but then I, my mind goes, who's going to watch this and what do they want to know? And, like, that's yeah. where my brain goes that's where yeah, the pressure good journalism. is journalism well we try yeah <laughs> um you're meant to it's hard to talk about as a Fiorentina supporter yeah. but you're meant to interview someone uh was it Cresswell yes how do you think you would have gone with that like interviewing someone who you're about to see on the screen like oh. play a really important part in yeah. footballing history for their club like West Ham's a massive club we are too but like you, we're well, it, inundated. it's Premier League right yeah, yeah yeah like we're inundated with Premier League yeah. over here yeah. but like I think I would struggle to kind of talk to someone who's about to go into such a final. Yeah. How, like how do you think you would have went? Yeah, th I think that would have been an interesting one. And we were – Anton's fantastic. Like he was great to talk to because he's obviously got that connection with the club for so many years. But we – West Ham were really trying to get a current player for us because yeah. they're coming out here next month for that game um, in Perth. And so – I think they see the value in like having those conversations with Australian creators as well. So it was a shame that we couldn't. Um, I think talking to a current player is obviously a bit of a game changer too because they're relevant, you know, they're the ones on the pitch. You're almost like, what can I ask you? Yeah. I think especially in, in the work that I've done with like the NRL and players in the NRL, I always feel like, you know, we've spoken to Josh Mansell, right, who is – kind of like past Fanatic. his yeah but he's he's very well known in the game but he's yeah. kind of moved on from his first grade career and he's pursuing more of like the media side of things now so he's more willing to probably speak his mind versus a current player they're always a little bit more apprehensive because yeah. there's more on the line like they don't want to necessarily say anything that's going to ruffle feathers or that they're you know like their media team's going to be like wait why did you say that yeah so I think Cresswell would have been like that. I actually think there's a real value in talking to like the Anton Ferdinand over the Cresswell because you get a little bit more of the truth. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. They're not they're not as scared of the media and like they're not always thinking like, oh, I'm gonna say something wrong and, yeah. and it's gonna impact my career. 
the career's done and dusted. Like mm. they're here and they're ready to like tell you whatever. Um, but in saying that, I'm sure we will get an up and coming West Ham player or like a, a current player. Yeah, I hope you get that. Um, oh, what's his name? That Ben kid in the back line he plays centre back, right back, left back. What's his name? Oh. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do, but he's I'm a West Ham junior. He's kind of like what Reese Oxford did. Do you know Anton totally brought him up in the <laughs> interview as well? He's a West Ham kid. Um, I hope Which you get is him. Which so on. cool. Yeah, it's so cool when they like grow up like academy and yeah. Or um, what's his name would be fascinating. Uh, a god, the yeah. Moroccan centre back because yeah. he's had a year and a half. Yeah. It's fascinating yeah. stuff, eh? We'll, we'll, we'll work for it. I'll put the names forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is Carlton Cole coming? Because I like I don't mind listening to him. I think he him. is. Yeah, he was offered to us as well, um, but we obviously spoke to Anton. We were like, why not make it the Ferdinand family podcast? Yeah, get them all on. Yeah, get the wives on. <laughs> um, no, give the wags a voice. <laughs> You reckon that would fly? Like no, a wag podcast? No. Peter that Crouch and his... That would be hilarious. I think Peter Crouch and his yeah, they, uh, partner they have a podcast. Hey. Yeah, yeah, that would actually... Well, and now Maddie Johnson, his wife, like they've got a yeah. whole family. Like everybody's doing it, so maybe we should. You touched on it before, NRL. Yes. You're a South supporter. Yeah, I am. Why? Good question. Great question. Uh, two reasons. Because they're the greatest team. No, I'm just kidding. That's not a reason. Um, my mum grew up in Maroubra. So like she's a, yeah. she's always had a connection to the club. She's not a footy head. I'm a, the black sheep of my family. No one understands where I came from and mm-hmm. why I have these interests. Um, and my best friend's family are fanatic South Sydney supporters. So we've been best friends since we were nine. Her dad started taking us to games in our early kind of teens. And so I just said, that's it. South Sydney's my side. Yeah, right. Yeah. Do you have much to do with the NRL? Do you want I'm, more to do with it? Yeah, so it's it's definitely an area that I'm looking to go into more so. I think I accepted that this year is very football focused. We've just had a World Cup in December. We've got a Women's World Cup next month. Like it's it's time to kind of like embrace the football. But um, I do love NRL and I like do a bit of content on that side as well. But um, yeah, I definitely want to kind of do what I'm doing in, in football but on the NRL side too because I don't think that there are really any – emerging female creators in that space. No, not. Besides the girls who are actually playing. Right. Like Kennedy. Yeah, exactly. And by all means, like we want to hear from them. Yeah. But I think it's 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 similar here as well in terms of um football. There's not for for the love of the game and considering yeah. how many people play it and watch it, the community is very small. All us football creators know each other really well. Yeah. And like similar with NRL, I'm good mates with rugby league guru and yeah, <laughs> he's just a legend and um, we've worked together for years because the company I worked for um, was looking after his podcast. Yeah, right. And then now that I've delved into this side of things, he's always said that, you know, he'd get me on board to do stuff with him because it is a passion point. But I think it's also just like getting it to the point where like I, you know, you want to stay in your lane to an extent. Like I know yeah. I'm not an expert and, and that kind of thing and. Um, but I just love the game and I want to create content and share stories and I think that's why for me I always found the value in doing the cross-code conversations on Born Offside. Yeah. So we've had, like I said, Josh Mansell, we've had Adam Dewey, we've had Jason Saab. Um, you know, we get these guys on because you don't know that they're football fans. Yeah. So like Mansell is a massive Arsenal supporter, like hardcore. Like when yeah. Lebanon um, was playing in the Rugby League World Cup, any opportunity to pack up and go to 
the Emirates. Yeah. Like he's there. He's at a game. Um, so same story with Adam Dewey, Liverpool supporter, Sam's a City supporter. So like it's great to have those conversations because like that's Australian. Like yeah. it's Australian to have that kind of like dual interest. So um I think that's it as well. It's kind of like I love both. So I want to talk about both. Yeah. Yeah. Your co host did it, Olin. He yeah. dived into cross codes, even did AFL, which yeah. is so funny. Because I, I, I remember back in the day, KSI. Did you, did you ever see that? KSI reacted to the uh, AFL highlights yeah, and he yeah. was like, what the fuck is this game? Yeah. I remember thinking from a young age how fascinating it would be to get like Del Piero mm. when like I remember like what, how old was I, 12 or 13 when he came? When he was here. Yeah, and I thought how fascinating would it be to get him mic'd up and take him to an NRL game and get his live reaction on like what he thinks. I would love to see I that. Because I think NRL he'd kind of think at first this is like a bootleg rugby, which it is, yeah. it actually is. But then like to take them to an AFL game, they would have like – Nothing to equivalent it to unless they've ever seen Gaelic football. So I was like, yeah, I thought that would be sick. And it'd be cool for like footballers playing in the A-League that are from other countries to like take them to an AFL game, sit them down. I'd love that. Yeah. And NRL as well because like some countries don't have rugby so they have legit no clue what's going on. No. Fascinating to get them involved. I completely agree. I think it's it's kind of hilarious. I love whenever someone from overseas sits down and watches a bit of rugby league. When I lived in Spain – I had two Spanish housemates and like here and there I would sit and watch the highlights or whatever because there was no streaming available. Like when you're not in Australia, you realise yeah. how hard it is to access a rugby league. And so I kind of like lost that interest for a little while and then when I came back I was like, oh, my God, you know, fell back in yeah. love with the game. And um, But it was very funny seeing their reactions when yeah. I would watch it. They were like, what is this? Like you hear the body smacking, these men just like – you know, hugging each other. Yeah, like big boys. And they're big boys and it's it's just hilarious because it's so different to anything else. But I would absolutely love to see that. And I I don't want to say it was me, but I did encourage Olan to... Um, Explain to, it. I said to him, I'm like, you need to look at, I guess, you know, he's got a great personality. His content is so entertaining, but there's this opportunity to really have that cross-code conversation and compare the games. I'm like, you've moved to Australia. You're now learning about NRL and AFL. I was like, why wouldn't you do a video on the NRL saying like, who's the Messi of the NRL? Who's the Kevin De Bruyne of the NRL? Because it's so it's such simple content, but it's yeah. so entertaining. And he started doing it and it just took off. And I think he realised like people loved seeing you know, this this English guy talking about NRL and finding that connection to it. And then obviously the whole journey of picking a team and everything and he's got clubs bidding for him. So it's like between Para and Bulldogs by the end of it and South Sydney never had a chance for the record. I tried. Oh, really? Yeah, no, he wasn't, wasn't interested at all. Um, South him, Sydney's real Aussie. Like yeah. you're Australian, like international I fans I don't think would pick South. Well, I don't know if you saw my latest TikTok, but Ronaldo was spotted with oh, yeah. Russell Crowe in a uh, <laughs> in a in a South Sydney cap. So <laughs> I would I wouldn't say that. But um, no. and Pepe. While we're at it, Pepe yeah, was in that video. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I've seen a few. I've yeah. seen a few. That I was swear. when Rusty was um doing what was Rusty doing? Gladiator, maybe. Surely. Yeah. Was he, it even? Was it that? Oh, for Pepe, it would have been like 2009, quite a while 2010. Ago, yeah. yeah. Hmm. Anyway. I mean, obviously having Russell Crowe has helped us yeah. um, with our Hollywood kind of profile. 
But um, yeah, people are all people never expect me to be a South Sydney supporter. It's quite funny. Like I just start talking about NRL and they'll be like, "Oh, bulldog supporter," and I'm like, "You know, just Lebanese." Yeah. <laughs> um, not that the, there's anything wrong with supporting the Bulldogs. With the random South thing, I have said publicly, like it's a marketing ploy. Oh, I reckon, like I reckon it is from Rusty, like a stroke of genius. Yeah, or someone in his team has gone. We need to figure out a way. We're going to plant people with South jerseys at certain events and hopefully it catches on that people wear their South jerseys. Wild. Do you think that's true? I think it could have started like that, but and I think it's, it's at the point on. where yeah. like anybody and everybody is willing to be the random South guy. Like yeah. you want to be that guy. Like where? what is the most obscure fixture that I'm going to in the world that I could rock a random South jersey? There was one at Tomorrowland when I was there. Of course there was. But like that's not getting on the screen. That's, that's just someone wild. wearing a South jersey. You know what I'm realising now all the missed opportunities I've had, like all these random games I've gone to in Spain and I could have just chucked on a South Sydney jersey yeah. and been that, been that person. But I also think I'm waiting for um, – South Sydney to launch some random South Sky merch. Yeah, Don't you think there's a true. missed opportunity there yeah, as well? 110%. I think this is one thing where I'm really, I really want to see the NRL take on kind of the, that Premier League, La Liga football style of merch and, and like the aesthetic element of the game. Like yeah. they're athletes. Like a lot of them are very good looking. Like, you should be promoting the game and making it cool and sexy yeah. the way that like the Premier League players do it and the game would take off. And when you look at like the NBA and, and all of that and like all the style element, yeah, there's so much to be done in the game. Like it would just, it would go off. We don't tap into it enough. No. They're no. trying. Yeah. Like Fox, Toby Rudolph, yeah. they're like trying to like get their own brands, get an aesthetic type yes. of thing. But they're still yeah. – they're all figuring out as they go. I know. And when you think of like the Fox, like he's easily like the most marketable player in the game. Yeah. Huge social following. Got his own apparel line. Yeah. He's interesting. He's funny. He's got it all lined up ready for him. You know, but like we need more players to get to that level as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think like Fox, if like internationally caught on. Oh, yeah. Like people would be so fascinated with how he speaks, like the slang of Western Sydney. Right. And like his laugh, yeah. his smile. Yeah, I think, no. yeah. I think there's big opportunities and like bizarre and stuff. People would be fascinated by it. Yeah. Like that. They would be. Like their camaraderie and whatnot and like just rugby league in general, how yeah. someone so small could play it, all that type of stuff. I know. They don't tap into it enough. Yeah, it'd be amazing. It really would be. Um, with the World Cup, I want to tap on it quickly. Yeah, yeah. The World Cup's coming up. There's so many questions to ask you. I just wanted to highlight something quickly and your thoughts on if any of them can do something at this World Cup. So okay. I think the best thing about the World Cup coming up, obviously being in Australia, I'm trying to go to any games I can. I Love did it that. in um, 2015 Asian Cup. We yeah. went and watched Bahrain. Shout out Jimmy Jam. I know you're listening. <laughs> uh, we went and watched Bahrain versus like Iran. We just watched like four or five random games. And I then, love that you did that. Yeah, well, 15. So we just got in the train. Yeah, that's a fair. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like outside the stadiums, they had like boxes of merch. So I've still got like an Iran flag that I donned at the World Cup. Sick. Um, when I was at a, all my mates like were watching the England game. Yeah. Half of them were English and I was had this little Iranian flag with me. They got whacked. <laughs> and then we, I still have a Bahrain shirt. And what else do I have? UAE. I still remember wow. their star player. You've got some really unique pieces. Yeah, they had this guy called um, Omar Abdel Rama. If you know that name, you know good bit, like about the World Cup and yeah. the, no, the Asian Cup. The Asian Cup. There was this guy. who was like he was a attacking midfielder for UAE. Yeah. 
and I like thought he was like Shinji Ono's replacement. Yeah. I still like you I, still stand by it. I still stand by it. He's still like UAE's best ever player. Yeah, wow. And he came when he played the Asian Cup, he was like, wow. The rest of his team was so That's bad. So cool. But um, yeah, I still remember that. So these countries, when I was doing my research, I knew a few of them, but two shocked me. So the two that shocked me were I didn't realize Vietnam and I didn't realize Philippines. Yeah. They kind of just slipped my radar. Well, they're exciting though. Do you reckon they're a good chance? Philippines are exciting. I don't know about a good chance. Like let, I'm going to be super realistic here. Like they've both, you know, it's their first Women's World Cup. There's eight, I believe, debutants. So yeah. eight countries who've qualified for the very first time. It's also the first time we've had 32 nations. Yeah. So it's a very exciting World Cup. There's, it's a World Cup of many firsts. But for the Philippines, what's really exciting is their coach is Alan Stachic, who yeah, is that's former it. Matilda's coach. So there's a really cool kind of connection with Australia um, and look, I don't know how far they'll go, but I think even they are realistic about what an achievement it is to just qualify. Yeah. And I think, you know, every country makes money off being here, like the exposure for the sport, the growth of the game, um, the Philippines girls, like we've got some Australians who qualify for the Philippines team as in like dual citizenship. There's some US players too. So like there is talent. Yeah. There is talent and like global talent in those squads. Most of the Philippines squad is... Didn't Stashits come in and go to the US straight away with the, like a list of yeah yeah like well, the Fili- like the Filipino kind of dual yeah citizenship, citizenship players yeah yeah so for people listening Philip Philippines uh, women's team were kind of like not really a chance mm-hmm. at any given point then Stashich comes in I can't say his name so sorry Stashich yeah yeah and he goes to America so American college is like one of the better levels of like yeah. football for women it's it's the most um, developed, I yeah. would say, yeah. Um, it's it's kind of set the tone for everywhere else. Yeah, and just resources, like yeah, the yeah. resources they have they're, access they're to. They're stacked with resources. They've got the money, the facilities. Like my, I've got a friend who played over there and she would just say like that it was state-of-the-art facilities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he went over there, had a list of like a very niche data, found anyone with a dual citizenship or heritage because you can go back to your grandparents, hey. Yeah. And basically recruited them to play for the Philippines and, yeah, gets them to a World Cup, which is smart. Yeah, it's crazy. Some guy did the same with uh, American Samoa. He went and found players, I think from here. There's a documentary on it. Yeah. So he went and I think he found a guy in Germany. Wow. That had lineage. And he brought him back for the games. He was Dutch himself, the coach, and he was just kind of like living. And he was like, (laughs) where can I go that the football team's like so. So they were bottom. Actually, they were bottom. Wow. And I think he picked them because he'd done like coaching at decent levels. Yeah. And he was like, fuck, like, I'm just going to go live there. Like I've made He my knows money. what he's doing. Yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. he kind of just went there because he wanted to get them off last. I think he ended up getting them like 15 places up at the, so that, what, 176 to like 160th or something. Wow. The other countries that I'm fascinated with, let me know what you think of their chances. Panama. Mm, I saw them play. Um, like I saw them qualify. Newcastle, hey. Was that them? No, that wasn't them. No, Panama Paraguay was the quali- like their final kind of playoff game. That was in um, New Zealand. Yeah, right. Yeah, and they were good. Like, I think there, there's a lot. Look, they've qualified for a World Cup. There's talent on all yeah. these sides. I still think that the contenders for like doing really well are yeah. going to be you know the, main ones. the obvious ones, but um, I still think it's it's a positive for those nations to be involved when you look at. Like Haiti, for example, 
them qualifying is huge for that nation. They've gone through so much kind of turmoil within the country. It's the first time in like forever that they've qualified for a tournament of this kind of caliber. And like for even for the men's side, like this is a huge achievement um, that the women have qualified. Yeah, You just see this support for the entire nation. And I think that is what's special about it is like for a lot of these countries that are qualifying for the first time, it's it's irrelevant which whether it's the women's or the men's teams that has qualified. The point is the country has qualified and and the country are proud about that. Yeah. Yeah. On the back of Haiti, while we're at it, I'm not sure if you saw mm-hmm. their one of their clubs. So Haiti at like at a football level was like fucked. Yeah. Excuse the language. And they somehow one of their clubs had like no resources. Some players couldn't even get into America because yeah. they made the Champions League. They won the Haiti uh, top division. So they made the Champions League of like the uh, North America mm-hmm. and they had Austin who are mm-hmm. pumped with money mm-hmm. and they've got this guy called Drewisi who like we won at Fiorentina. He's like a pretty good footballer. Um, and so they went to Austin. Somehow they scraped the first leg with a draw maybe in Haiti. Mm-hmm. They would go to America. Some of their players aren't even let in and then some of their transport fucks up. I'm paraphrasing here so badly. This is so <laughs> – this was like six months ago and I just remember reading about it on like multiple articles. They somehow went to Austin with like not even their team. They, I think they had like 11 first team players there on the day plus like reserves and like kids on the bench. They somehow beat Austin and Austin and went through into the Champions League or went through to the next thing. That's insane. That's um, like a movie. Uh, there's got to be a documentary coming out about it. But then the women's was on the back of that as well. Wow. So like it was like arguably Haiti's best year as a country. Insane. I was, like I said, I was in New Zealand for the playoffs and I was there at the game where Haiti qualified. They beat Chile. Chile, I didn't realise how much Chilean support was in New Zealand. There was a sea of red in that stadium. It was amazing. Um, How was Kat? Oh, yeah, I know. Poor thing. (laughs) She's had better days. She's had better days. She was watching it from home and messaging me at the time. But um, there was this one Haitian guy who was... Love that so much. Standing there like crying and I interviewed him for Optus and um, he was just – he just spoke so passionately about the win and, and what it meant to him, like the history of the – of football in the nation but like what it meant for the nation like more holistically as well. Like it's beyond the football and I think the one thing when you work in football is you always remember that like social change comes from this game. Yeah. Like the amount of power that the game has that FIFA has – in, in regards to social change. And that's why like when they say it's just football or whatever, like, I don't agree with that. I think it is so much deeper. I think sport in general is so much deeper than like whatever is played on a pitch or on a court yeah, or whatever. 100%. It it represents communities, minorities, religions, ethnic groups. It represents like all these different people, but they've come together for like a common goal. Yeah. And it was one of it was one of those moments where like I truly witnessed like how important this win was and something that we almost take for granted a little bit with the Matildas because they have done quite well for yeah. a period of time now and the qualification whilst it wasn't guaranteed it was assumed that we would yeah. qualify we're a top ten nation in the in the world of football so we should qualify um, but I don't think you realize how special it is until you see a country like Haiti qualify and yeah. what it meant for them. And it's given them something as a nation to look forward to. And I think that is a huge, a huge thing for them. And I felt very, you know, honored to be there for that moment as well. That's yeah. the bet that 
That'd have to be the best part of your job, hey? Yes. Saying that type 100%. of 100%. Yeah, it's for me, it's the messages from girls who just say, you know, I, I want to do what you're doing or thank you for what you're doing for the game. I don't go out every day when I work and consciously think, make sure you do something for women today. Yeah, yeah. It's just, you know, I wouldn't be doing what I was doing, what I'm doing if it wasn't for the support I've had and the people who've backed me. And, you know, I look at Claude's and Olan and like they've always backed me and advocated for my work and through them I've met amazing people and all it takes is like one person believing in you to feel like you're, you know, that you're onto something. And so it means a lot when I get like words of kind of feedback, positive feedback from young girls who watch what I do and and it gives them like something to work towards, you know what I mean? That's really special because I didn't grow up with that necessarily I don't think it's in like I don't I don't like that whole like I didn't grow up with like yeah. role models and stuff. <laughs> but I think we had role models, they were just kind of different. I think it's really cool to to potentially play that role for like a, a young girl who isn't gonna make it as a footballer but loves the game and wants to find another way to make it their life. Yeah. I think that's really special. So for me, that's the highlight. It's obviously those special moments of like witnessing yeah. Haiti qualify for the first time, but it's also like the positive feedback that you get from from young girls and boys who want to work in the game and they see me doing it and they feel like they can too. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Other nations-wise yeah. as well. These are like – it's really special to talk about these nations, I feel. It'd be easy to come in here and ask you, oh, like England, USA, mm-hmm. Australia, France, right? But like I think with Haiti as well, you kind of touched on it with like the representation – if Haiti go through, like just being here, they get coverage as a country, which is very important because they've got a lot of fucked up things going on. Yeah. But like also the opportunity, if they go through the round of 16 for whatever reason, the opportunity, we saw it with Australia as well. Yeah. All of a sudden like your resource allocation from government kind of gets shifted yeah. as soon as you go through to that round of 16 at a World Cup. And I think the th- same thing goes with all these countries I'm mentioning, especially Haiti and Zambia, mm. which I'm fascinated by. But like if they go through the round of 16, like the change that can happen just for football in those countries, I think is like the most beautiful thing. It's huge. And it's also opportunities for women. Yeah. I think. Um, yeah, like young girls in poverty can all of a sudden it's make a putting, career out of it. It's, I mean, what it can, and this is goes back to what we said before, it's, it's sport but it's so much more than that. Like the money that they gain, the exposure that they gain, um, it's also giving somebody who may not be sure what they want to do. It gives them, they might see this world cup for the first time and go, that's what I want to do. And it gives them hope for their future and it gives them something to work towards. But as a nation, I think having like a common goal and, and then reaping the rewards of that too, it's, it's the best thing you can do. And the women leading it even better. Yeah. Yeah. In the, especially in these nations, like Morocco, for example, have qualified for the first time as well to see, a team of women in countries where they've historically not necessarily been the ones leading yeah. the way. And it's not to say that they all think like that, but it's it's just history. They haven't always been the ones leading the way. They get to do that. And, you know, Moroccan men's team did so well in that last World Cup. Yeah, so nuts. they get to feed off the momentum of the men's team. And before you know it, you know, like they've got their whole nation behind them as well. So I think like it's a – it's a really special opportunity for women from all of these kind of third world and second world countries to to show what they can do. Yeah. 
I think the other, what were the other countries I mentioned? China. Mm-hmm. Are, I'm unaware of them at like a footballing level. Are they quite They're good. good? They're very good, yeah. So they've capitalised on the population <laughs> idea. In, Potentially, yeah. Yeah, in football, like it fascinates, I can't fathom how India yeah. and China having, obviously there's resources, right, but you'd think with so many people you're bound to produce 23 that can do it. You yeah. know what I mean? You know, I know what you mean. Like the statistically, like you've got so much talent. At least get to the World through. Cup yeah. for both of them. Yeah. Um, what did China like coming into this World Cup? Do you China think are a good job? footballing country. Yeah. Like there's, I, I'm terrible at names, but there are, and I think that one also I want to preface with women's sport or women's football is kind of at that point of like we're heading into this kind of new era of women's football where you know the names, yeah. right? Like even as somebody who grew up around football, I never knew women's football names. I knew I knew Megan Rapinoe. I knew um, Christine Sinclair. Ma- I mean I'm trying to think of who else I grew up knowing. And uh, like, what was her name? The American striker. Uh, Alexis? No. Alex Morgan. Alex Morgan. Yeah. There you go. So yeah. like those are the names I grew up with, right? Now it's like there's so many people that you know, so many yeah. stories that you know. I think China is an example of one of those countries where like there are players who are kind of scattered in different parts of the world, but they are definitely a force to be reckoned with. Like when I talk to players who've played against China, they always speak very highly of their skill level. And I think um, they've got a great reputation for producing talent. Like you said, you know, China has money and they got a lot of people. So yeah. if they tie those resources together. They can do a job. Yeah. Is the women's league got the money as well over there? I think so. And yeah. So with China, like for context for people, Chinese men's players hardly ever play outside of China. Mm. Um, I think it's a similar story though. Yeah, More that's what I was going More to. So like the only Chinese player I can ever remember playing out of China was a guy called Wu Li mm. who was – yeah, he was a left winger or a striker. I think Wanderers actually played him at one point when he was real young. So he but stayed kind of in Asia, came here. Who? He, he No, no, he ended up in the La Liga with Espanol oh, like two okay, years ago. But okay. he was like the – it was big news for Asian football because it was the first time we'd seen a Chinese player become like a marquee okay, outside yeah. of China. Whereas like with South Korea and – yeah. In Japan, like we see they're more everywhere. of that. Yeah. yeah, they're all across the world. Yeah. But with China, they've always kind of been yeah. centric to China. So I was wondering for the female team. I still team. think that is the same, although like I am aware like I'm aware of certain players that are in La Liga, for example. Yeah. But it's I think it's still a case of like Japan and South Korea are so much yeah. further ahead in terms of like that ability to dominate in other in other nations as well. Yeah. Um Zambia we touched on. I yes. think they're they're the coolest. That's the small nation. So I've got a few questions to ask yeah. you now about the who are predictions for top four. Okay. If you were to predict, if we let's go off the men's World Cup preface, mm-hmm. go three, you know, three easy guesses, and then yeah. on your fourth, and maybe like a give smoky, us a yeah, a a smoky. smoky. All right. So I'm gonna throw Australia in there. Yeah. I think it's a home yeah. World Cup. If we don't make it to the top four, the like, bar is high. Yeah. But we should. I think that the biggest concern with the Matildas is just their inconsistency. But if they can really bring it, I think if they win game one, the rest are locked in. Yeah. It'll be that first game that will shake them if we don't win it against Ireland. Um, I'm going to say USA are up there for me. Yeah, they course. always are. They're, they're looking at the treble. They won the last two. So if they win oh. this one, they've won three in a row. Um, and I would have said England. I still think that England are in like amazing shape. Didn't? 
their star retire. Yeah. Not um, retire. Or is she oh, injured? Injured. Leah Williamson did her ACL. Yeah. So she's their captain oh, and their star player. Um, they still have – they're stacked. They yeah. are still stacked. Um, you're looking at like the lineup of the best in the WSL. Whoever isn't in the Matildas from the WSL, the rest of them are basically in that England squad. Um, so I would say England for me is up there, although I do feel like the the fact that Leah Williamson is missing will impact them slightly. Yeah. Plus Especially England at a World Cup, even with men's. You're saying of, they're, they're cursed. They just don't do as well as they should. Never have. The women do better than the men though. That's good. <laughs> the men are shocking. I know. I'm going to say Germany. Are they a smoky thing? I don't even think they're a smoky. I just think they're good. Yeah. I've spoken to people who like play in the game and Germany always comes up and it's not the country that comes up in like general conversation but when I talk to people that play, they're like, no, keep your eye on Germany. So for me it's put Germany on the – Yeah. Like on on my horizon in terms of who to watch. My smoky, I'm going to say Nigeria. Yeah, right. Best African team. Does Ola Aina's sister play for them? Potentially. There's a professional footballer's sister who plays for them. But I can't remember So there's is. a few. I mean, there, I think there are a few who have brothers that play. Yeah. My One of my favourite players is Asisa Oshuala. So yeah. she's a Barca player. Um, she's so cool. Like she's cooler than I'll ever be. I mm. will aspire to be as cool as her. But she, um, she's also part of the Lego campaign, which is really cool. Yeah, that's um, sick. But Nigeria, the women's team, are they've qualified for every single Women's World Cup since, you know, Africa has been a part of it. And um, they're the most successful African team. Yeah. I think they're a force to be reckoned with. I think everybody says Canada are the one to beat for Australia, but I really think that if Nigeria show up, yeah, that's a challenge for us. Yeah. Yeah, Nigeria got that thing with, um, with England where they have s- such a high immigration to England that – the players produced, even if they're born in Nigeria, when they moved there, like we saw with their, even though they didn't make the World Cup, yeah. the team they actually have on paper now is ridiculous. Yeah. Because they're given the resources at a young age in England and then they take that and they, I hope the women's team do the same. Yeah, they me tap too. In. Me too. I also think um, I, I would love to see an African team. You know, we saw, like I said, I touched on Morocco earlier, Morocco, North African team, but, you know, made it so far in the Men's yeah. World Cup. I'd love to see an African team do the same thing. We've had Asian teams, for example, do really well, like Japan have won one. Um, but I'd love to see an African team kind of make it right to the end. Have they ever cracked top four? Because I think that Morocco was the first. I, I believe I believe that a Nigeria may have before. Yeah. At the least, look, I'm not like my my women's World Cup knowledge, as in history knowledge, is not the best. Yeah. Um, and I blame the fact that. You know, I, I wasn't a consumer yeah. of women's football for like a large portion of my life, but um, I'm pretty sure yeah they have. New Zealand's chances. What do you – are there chances? Maybe through the group. They've got themselves an easier – not an easier group, but they've got a decent group. Yeah. They're in group A. So I think they come up against like the Philippines. Norway. Norway. Norway are not even a smoky. Like Norway are good. Yeah. Um, Who's the other team in their group? I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember. I'm like scrolling through the little catalogue in my mind of um, images. I can't. I cannot remember. But um, I remember thinking that like they should got go a, through. They could make it through the group. But I, I think you know New Zealand 
grand, like given how small their population is, they do have a fantastic team. And a lot of those players play in the um, A-League women's here. Yeah. And they do very well. Um, but I don't know about their chances of progressing in the Women's World Cup, although maybe my famous last words and then everybody will come for me and be like, yeah, make a TikTok. you doubted them. <laughs> yeah, yeah like, put you oh. in one of the edits where they yeah. like. Look, I doubters. never said I was I an expert. <laughs> yeah. It's all opinion at the end of the day. Oh, sorry about that. I'm just going to preface that with it is my opinion. Uh, one to watch players. Ooh, okay. Back to Oshuala. I love her. I think watch her. Um, Nigeria. Nigeria. Okay, she yeah. Who else would um, there be? Do you know what? In in the Matildas as well. Uh, any country. Yeah. I'm going to say, um, well, this is the thing is we don't have our 23-man squad announced uh, yeah. just yet, uh, similar with all of them. So it's like I can give a name and they might not even get yeah. the call up. Um, but I love, I love Courtney Vine. I think, look, everybody knows who she is, but keep yeah. an eye on her in the sense of, I think her story is really cool. She is, she's chosen to stay in Australia. She hasn't gone to the WSL. She hasn't gone to um, the US. She's chosen to play here when I truly believe that Courtney Vine could play anywhere in the world. Yeah. She's good enough. Um, but she chose to stay in Australia and she gets the call up time and time again. And I think there's always this debate with the Australia team of do we take – preference of players who are overseas doing their thing over the girls in the A-League yeah. doing their thing here. Same which, for the men's. Yeah, I know. Big conversation. That's why like Craig Goodwin doing as well as he did was a really big thing for the A-League because it proved a point yeah. and it, it, it kind of said, you know, like we can do this. We can create this talent and they can hold their own yeah. in a World Cup. Courtney Vine is a really good example of that on a local level as well. Um I was lucky to watch her because I, I worked on the Dub Zone show for the entire Liberty A League season, so I was really lucky to kind of see her skill throughout the season and yeah. being not forced, but like when you work on the game and you sit and watch a three-hour stream of those girls week in week out, you know what talent stands out and what doesn't. And she's an example of a player that like when she's on the pitch makes yeah. such a difference. Um, I'm trying to think who else. I feel like, I mean, for me, the Spanish squad as well, um, in general, like I think if you don't know what's going on with the Spanish team. Yeah, let's tap into that. It's pretty fascinating. Um, it's, it's, I don't even really know the ins and outs in terms of the politics of it all, but essentially there's a, there's a bit of an internal disagreement going on where I think around 11 players said that they were not going to represent Spain unless the manager was changed. But the Spanish kind of governing body have stood by the coach to say he will stay. Do you know what the issue was with the coach? They have loosely said that there were issues within treatment and, um, you know, like things that he had yeah. said or mistreated the girls and things like that. And, and not in a – like <sighs> – they haven't been very specific, to be honest. And yeah. I think it's potentially smoke and mirrors, to be honest. And um, who really knows? At the end of the day, I think what is interesting is that a large portion of the players who don't want to represent Spain come from that Barcelona side that are so successful. Yeah. And you would think that if enough of them would say they're not going to represent Spain, the governing body would be like, we need to do something about this because we really need these girls in this side. But that's not what happened. They kind of said, okay, off you go. We're yeah. looking at the likes of like Alexia Puteas, who was a 
Ballon d'Or winner yeah. not being on the side for a political issue or for an internal issue that they're not willing to rectify. And they've basically just said that's fine. If you don't want to play, you don't play. She's made the list, the squad list. Whether yeah. or not she turns up to play is a different story. But um, the... I think one thing that is really interesting about women's football right now is we've seen so many unhappy teams. The French team, we saw like Katoto, like all of these really famous players pull out for whatever reason, um, unhappy with managerial decisions, unhappy with the manager in general. We saw it with Canada with the pay disparity and all the stuff yeah. going on there. The you, Canada one was fascinating. Yeah. Because you – yeah, the Canada one was like, how can you be so ignorant mm. to what's going on? Mm. You know what I mean? And I thought like, I can't, I can't remember the, I don't even want to like try and paraphrase it, but like the amount of money they were told they were going to get paid and what they actually got paid was just like. From memory, the issue was that like, it's kind of like an, a private body looks after yeah. the, the football club. Like they outsourced their own right. fucking national team. Yeah, and then when it came to like profits – and distribution of yeah, profits that was it. that wasn't included in their contracts. And so when push came to shove and there was all this money to be distributed, like it wasn't done. And so yeah. like these girls were winning competitions and not benefiting financially from that, you know, just being paid their regular salaries. And so they boycotted and said, you know, we're not going to wear your jersey and we're not going to represent you until you And they wore it money. inside out at a yeah. qualification game, was it? Yeah, or a friendly was, I think it was a friendly. Yeah. I think it was a friendly because the the Canadian like uh, football or soccer association were like, you you know, we will literally like fine you all. Yeah. We will, if you break contract or you don't carry through with what you've signed off, we'll do things, you know, to you to, to make you regret it. Um, so they all showed up but they found a way of boycotting anyway. Yeah. Power you know, tool. Yeah. They, I think, more or less have come to some agreement internally with with all of that it hasn't i don't believe they took legal action i think they were able to like find a solution amongst the team so that'll be at the world cup but it's just an example of like all of these issues that are still going on in women's football yeah. and i think people don't realize how advanced the matildas are and like how much the fa have done to ensure that women you know are treated fairly in football here um so yeah there's it's it's a whole thing yeah, it's a whole it's podcast in itself yeah. talking about that stuff jamaica have still got problems hey yeah the last I time i so. checked because i tap in like maybe especially coming up to like once or twice a week go onto like a website and see what like the news is yeah and jamaica's still i'm pretty sure at a point where players still are considering not coming yeah and i can't remember the exact issues but it's very smoke and mirrors that's the other thing as well like the players don't necessarily they can't yeah. legally and then of course the pfa is not going to admit to their no. or like the fa's aren't going to admit to their own downfalls yeah but yeah it's fascinating seeing like because women's football still in such a develop development stage like seeing their game grow and what the growth comes from is actually such like shocking circumstances hey yeah it's honestly it's i think that's sometimes that's where the pinch yourself moments is when you notice how much things have changed and how much they've developed from what they were. Yeah. Like there was a whole period of history where women weren't even allowed to play football. Like a lot of people yeah. don't even know Less that. Less than 100 years ago. Yeah, it was in the last 100 years. Yeah. So from 
and I used to know this story back to front, like with the facts and now my dates are all thrown off because it's all been replaced with other information. But like there was a 50-year period in England, basically post-World War II where they said, you know, women can't play football. It's not the job of like a woman should not play football. Yeah. So like it was left for the men and, um, you know, they – picked up again in the late 80s, early 90s um, with like unofficial World Cups and stuff being played before that. But it really – the game's like 30 years old for women. Yeah. Whereas – 98? Something, the, the first? Yeah. Well, we've America. been playing like a version of the World Cup since I think like the early 90s. Yeah. Because I remember America, they lifted the first official one and they still didn't get paid and they won it. Yeah. Which is crazy, eh? I think like four countries played that first World Cup as well. Like it's yeah. just insane to think how much it's changed and it's in our lifetime. Yeah. Or is it, it's in my lifetime at least, um, a lot of this stuff. Like to think that when I was born versus now, they're completely different games. And I think that's why I get frustrated when we like compare and we debate and people kind of slander women's football because you don't have to love it. Yeah. Like no one's telling you you've got to love it. But I think... In my opinion, you're not a real fan of the game unless you support all versions of it. Yeah. Because it should be about the sport, not about the gender. Like, I think it's irrelevant. You should be able to appreciate a good game of football, whether it's women running around or men running around. Um, And there was this amazing campaign that I saw in Colombia today actually i saw this today and i encourage anyone listening to look this up but aguila sponsor were really disappointed with like the turnout of sponsors for the men's game versus the women's game men's game the stadiums packed women's game bare men's team shit now as well (laughs) yeah it sounds bad but they are like after james and falcao went through they've produced nothing yeah that's that's is sad to be fair yeah but, like, I'm talking, like, domestic league. So, yeah, like, right. the stuff that was happening there, um, like, your local clubs or, like, you know, like the A-league equivalent. Yeah. Um, and they split the crest in half yeah, and well. said, you're only half a fan if you can't support the women's team as well. And then every other club picked up on this and they all started dividing the, their crest in half. Yeah. And kind of running with this whole rhetoric that, you know, a, a real fan is there for the football and you appreciate it whether it's men or women and it's about appreciating the game for what it is. It is not about comparing them and it's not about just showing up for the men and then acting like the women, you know, don't matter. Yeah. It got like those stadiums full in Colombia yeah, for the women mad. as well. And I think it was a beautiful sentiment around I think just that, you know, where we're ultimately fans of the game. Like yeah. you're clearly interested enough in women's football to Google it and see what's happening. And like it doesn't mean that the Nigerian national women's team has to be your favourite team yeah. or that you have to know everything about them. And I don't expect you to be able to list every player for every country because I can't even do that. Like we're, we're at that point of developing the game where we're only just learning who they are. Yeah. We're only just starting to tell the stories. Matilda's got their first documentary on Disney. Like I wouldn't be surprised if people didn't know the full Matilda squad list up until this World Cup. But then hopefully off the back yeah. of this World Cup, you learn those names, you learn those faces. Like that's the the part of the journey that we're on now. And I think it's just supporting the game and being realistic about like how far behind it really is. 
but not discrediting like the achievements of the women in the game. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? 110%. That's my, I think that's my biggest kind of thing about it all. I think after the first Matilda's game, it'll be like, I think I've noticed in conversations with guys, the name isn't the problem. Mm. Matching the name with the face is what gets them. Yeah. It was the same with NRLW, but when State of Origin comes around, you quickly, you remember yeah, like. Yeah, you know Tiana Penetani, you know who just surges. Yeah. Like you're able like, to tell. Yeah, at least Albert apart. and like um, Kennedy and then Millie Boyle. Like you start to like match all these names, right? I think you'll be the exact same thing as soon as the Matildas play their first game. Yeah. Like as soon as we really watch the, and the whole country will watch. Yeah. That's the other thing. But the other thing I was going to mention as well. My dad met Les Murray when I was like a kid. Oh my gosh, amazing. Yeah, and like they, be, not like friends, but they became associates or acquaintances. I that should say. in itself is cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Dad was like quite upset when Les passed. Um, but so dad brought home like this literature from Les, which I never really got around to until I was like 18 or 19 or 20. And then I kind of got into more literature about football. But I never realized until Les brought it up in one of like this book or this book that came from reading Les' stuff mm. that the Men's World Cup. That's why Uruguay won it so many times. There was hardly any fucking teams in it. Yeah. That's why Uruguay have like three or four. Yeah. But like as soon as everyone started going, they didn't win. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uruguay haven't won since. But no. like um, we're literally just witnessing the exact same tale of men's football in a sense because when men's football in the 20s and the 30s had its own, you know, problems. And then in yeah. the 40s, obviously, it went downhill. Yeah. But um, – Women's football is kind of the same. You're kind of just witnessing the growth and the problems that comes with the growth at first, like allocating the funds, resources, yeah. figuring that out. Like, F- like literally finding your feet. Yeah, you're finding just watching your feet. history. Yeah, it's, you're, you're so right. It, it, you can really draw the parallels because it's kind of the same stage that we're at right now where yeah. it's funding too. It's countries realising, oh, we should put money into this because it has benefits for youth and and like the ripple effect that it'll have and i think that's why so like with all of the nike stuff that i do the biggest story that they constantly tell us is it's what this is going to do for sport after the world cup for for women's sport and for sport in general so it's the the idea that this is a catalyst moment for women's sport but the real impact will be seen later You've got like Legacy 23, which is the whole um, kind of policy that um, Football Australia and FIFA and all that have kind of brought about as a result of winning the World Cup. It's this commitment to doing so much more than hosting a World Cup. It's how can we fund women's football and fund sport and create opportunities and facilities and do all these things that like we haven't had before because they're praying and hoping that there will be this momentum around the sport as soon as the world cup's over but not just for football like to play sport in general it will benefit so if you're not a football fan like this will still benefit like every other sport because your daughter will look at sport and go i want to be a part of that and like the you know the opportunity will be there more than it has been in the past i think the best thing about the world cup coming up more than anything is the time Mm. that it's i know we're so lucky get to be here yeah, not wake like, up at four a.m. Yeah, during the World Cup, you worked through it. We'll get to that. Yeah. Like you, you had one of the coolest jobs in the world at the time, especially with the run we had. That was I was never so saw that cool. coming. Um, but like, yeah, I remember first game I watched in my bed because I wake up at like six a.m. to go to work. The second game, I remember I watched that at May. Was the second game who'd reverse Denmark, mm. or was that the third game? No, De- no. We had Tunisia wow. second game. We yeah, had Tunisia. Tunisia. I remember watching that with Matt. Yeah, that Matt. Um, 
that yeah. Duke goal. That was on a Saturday night. That was our best. Maybe that was our best fixture that we had. That was on a yeah, night. Yeah, because it was at like 11 p.m. on a Saturday night. Yeah. I remember watching that. That was fuck, that. I'm still like get anxious because I remember that game being so tight thinking like, oh, I know. Shit. We but, were, uh, the whole crew was together at, at a pub for that and we were all just on the, whoever wasn't sitting was just yeah. standing. We we're all anxious as hell, like holding each other and yeah. then, oh, I will never forget that moment. And then Denmark was on like a Wednesday at 1 or 3 a.m. I remember yeah. that because I remember, yeah, I went straight to work after it basically. And then... Uh, Argentina was on a good time as well. That was on a Saturday night or a Sunday morning maybe. Sunday morning I think. Yeah. Something and like that. Yeah. It's all well, a blur Saturday night, stage. Sunday morning. Um, But like th- those are obviously experiences that they'll never take away from us. But I think it would be really cool to just sit with your mates on 7 p.m. on a Saturday night and find a venue and just like invite all you people you know that enjoy football yeah. and watch the Matildas play and, and be able to enjoy the moment, not worry about work, not worry about like yes. how to get home. You know what I mean? That was the 100%. problem with like – World 100%. Cup in Qatar well, with every football no, that we watch is um the time zone. But I think it would be really cool. Even when New Zealand's playing, I think a lot of people get around them as well. I hope they do. I hope yeah. they do because it's, you know, like they're our cousin. They're our neighbours. Yeah. We're, we're supposed to look out for them as well. Um, but I think, you know, they're as sport crazy as we are yeah. in New Zealand. So it's like there's there's a cultural similarity there and I think we just get behind our teams there's this really beautiful notion, I think, with Australians that when it's on a national level, people do just support. They kind of drop what they're doing and they get behind the team. Yeah. That was so the World think, Cup. Yeah. The amount of people that like – everyone around me knows I'm like football mad because I put Fiorentina on my story. Like, yeah, no, like, your football <laughs> knowledge is amazing. Thank you. Um, I'm a, like, I was a FIFA kid so I just knew everything. I love that. Stav is similar. Yeah, like all the knowledge started knowledge from FIFA. Insane as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like everyone I like people I knew that have can't even stand football. They yeah. like stop everything they were doing. They were getting up at one AM to watch it. They were texting me like, dude, this is mental. Like yeah. this is so cool. And then I had mates who didn't really watch it, who went into Sydney for it. And they were like, Holy shit, like this is like no no other sport in the country, whatever, or in the world does that. No. But um I think I hope the Matildas has the same effect, especially if it's the final that we all go to uh location public and celebrate. Hopefully, celebrate. Can you like imagine a, we make the final? Yeah, it'd be the cool. The Matildas make the final. Like, it'd be sick. I mean, I hope so for the sake of my job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I'm following the Matildas the entire World Cup. So if they flop, I'll probably end up following another team. But I would love to just follow Australia for as long as possible. Um, but yeah, I think. Look, we've we've got that momentum of the Socceroos, and and people think of football now. They think of World Cups, and they remember that moment with the Socceroos yeah. or those few moments that we had. So I hope we I hope we can back it up and kind of give people the same experience again with the beauty of it being on Australian soil yeah. and at a time that, you, like you said, you can get your mates together. You're not asking for too much. You're not asking your mates to get yeah. up at 2 a.m. It's like just come, come to the pub or come over, watch the game with us. It's on Channel 7. It's on Optus Sport. Yeah. Like, you know, it'll be there. It'll be available and accessible. And so... Um, I are hope all we can our have games those moments. free? I believe all the Matildas games are across yeah, Channel brain 7. Snapped yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm pretty sure that, I mean, Channel 7 would do that. Yeah. So I'm not working for Channel 7, yeah. but I'm pretty sure they would do that. Yeah. Uh, with the men's game, you obviously, you put it actually really well for someone like, Stab's only three years younger than me. Yeah. I think, or maybe two. But even with 2006, I still remember that. Mm. I, I'm half Italian, so that like mm. didn't help my case. Oof. 
Yeah, I remember watching it back like when I was 20 because I never watched it back. And I was like, what the fuck is Lucas Neal doing? Like, how is that? Like, No, I know. You know what I mean? That is like the most miscovered topic in Australian football. I agree. That is the biggest brain snapper a defender we've had has had. Because he's on the floor for like metres before him. You just, yeah, he, he, he fucked it. Yeah, if, if that's an Australian player going over an Italian defender, I'd be screaming yeah. if they don't go down. Like, nah. It's just he, the nature he, he of the game. He fucked it, yeah. Yeah, but <laughs> I, like from the age of six up until 20, I, if anyone said anything, I'd be like, oh, yeah, like we're divers. Like never really considered, mm, never yeah, watched no, it, never watched it back. thing, like I'm neither Italian. I'm, I'm Australian, I'm yeah. not Italian, but like I, I'm sorry. Like <laughs> yeah. Lucas Neal fucked it. Yeah. I keep saying that. Like keep swearing. I'm so sorry. No, you're right. But I swear all the time. He messed it up in that moment. And I think people wanted to, you know, blame the Italians for their drama. And like yeah. fair to say, in that World Cup, they had some golden moments of yeah. drama, right? Like falling to the ground and whatever. And um They knew what they were doing. That's the did. biggest misconception. Matarazzi knows that Fabio Grosso knows as well. Like they know what they were doing. They weren't exceptional. Matarazzi was good, but Grosso was no exceptional footballer. No. Kind of like um, Ryan Bertram winning the Champions he's, League. He's same vibe. It's, it's same vibe. Like, <laughs> no one. He's just kind of like a fullback that kind of squeezes yeah. in and yeah. kind of did his thing. But um, yeah, like I don't know. But that was a. But back to the point. That was like my memory, right? Yeah. 2010. I remember Brett Holman had a pretty good World Cup from memory. Um, and Jason Kalina came onto the scene. 2014 was frustrating because we got given such a shit group, but we actually played really well, I yeah. thought. I'm 14, so what do I know about football all the time? But, like, <laughs> we played Chile, who was – or Chile, who was arguably their best ever team, mm. just Vidal and like Sanchez. The, their best team that they've had today. Yeah, yeah and Bozajoir, if that's his name, at left back. And then Spain, Holland, I mean, obviously, no matter when you get them. Spain, yeah, Holland, like the two best at the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I and Robin, like, what are you gonna do? <laughs> yeah. And then 2018 was who do we have in 2018? Oh God, no. We, do we have France? Yes. And then we had um, I can't even we remember the rest. Of the, had, oh, we had Denmark as well, and we had Peru. That's right. Yeah, beautiful God, story. Your memory is amazing. Yeah, that was hard, but I remember Denmark. That was hard because the France game on TD should have got sent off. If you remember that, his hands like up. Yeah. Here. So like these are like tiny memories and then we finally get like 2022 world cup interestingly enough i thought our worst squad yeah i mean a lot of people said that like most underwhelming squad and i also thought i've got voice messages and they were brought up during the world cup (laughs) i also thought arnold should have been gone well before the world cup started you're also not the only one who thought that yeah yeah i wasn't like in an alone i wasn't like that was a common opinion yes um i'm I'm, and to this day i don't think arnie should ever get the sack for what he did no. And considering Argentina went on to win it as well, like we lost to like the two teams that were in the final. Yeah. Um. And what he did for the A League as well, like, yeah. like like he doesn't even like hardly play, and he scored that goal. You know what I mean? I think I've heard good things about Arnie. Yeah. You know, in terms of his relationship with players with and stuff. players, and yeah. and even I think leaving his squad choices to the last minute. Why not? Like. If that works for you, if that means that your players are on their toes and that they're doing everything that they can until the the final moments to yeah. make that squad, then so be it. It means they play their best. Yeah. Football. Um, but that was like really the country's only good memory since 2006, yeah. since beating Japan, uh, Timmy Cale double. <laughs> you worked during that and yeah. you and Stavalike and Kat, the whole team, yeah, are like the, the face of it for my generation, right? Like everyone turns to you guys for the content. What was it like, like oh during that gosh. time? It was it was like living in another world, first of all. So 
I I worked the SBS show um, doing these kind of flashback segments, looking yeah. at key moments from every World Cup. And then the final episode I did a bit of a tribute piece to Les Mar- Murray and Johnny Warren. Yeah. So I wrote and I wrote and delivered all of those pieces myself, um, which I think it was a it was a challenge. To obviously, write all of those, but I loved researching it. I loved learning about it, especially that tribute piece. To this day, is one of my favorite pieces I've ever created in yeah. my work. How do you? How did you find approaching such a thing? I didn't want to overthink it. Yeah. But there is a there was a lot of pressure around. The fact that, you know, I'm talking about events that are really important to certain people. And, you know, even though I might be talking about Argentina winning in a certain year, like there are Argentinian Australians who are viewing yeah. this, who know what I'm talking about, who like this takes them back to a moment with yeah. their families where they were sitting on a couch or where they were at a game in in a country somewhere. And so they remember these moments. And so I have to do it justice and I have to explain it in a way that is um, – it, it, it serves that moment the way that yeah. it should. Um, and then the tribute piece also, for me, Les Murray is the guy. Yeah. Like I think of football in Australia growing up and my it's always Les Murray and it's, yeah. it's Lucy Zelich and it's that group of SBS faces for me. Like Lucy Zelich, if I was to give you anyone who is. She was the first woman I remember. Aussie woman, Same. like in front of my Ethnic, TV, yeah. Female sitting next to the guys that had all that that credibility. She had the credibility. Yeah, too. and she was um she was smarter than her brother. Very much smarter than her brother. Like yeah 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 for <laughs> sure. But like when like Ned obviously played at like a really high level yeah, yeah, at yeah. the time, and like when she would break down what she saw, even though she was kind of like uh, how would you put it, a mediator of conversation. Yeah, I mean she anything. was like the host, right? Yeah. But like even when she kind of like weighed in with something or kind of asked like a really good question, you're like, fuck, you actually kn- – She like, knows who she is. Oh, man. Yeah, she yeah, was no. the, Lucy – She and, is. but like, And for yeah, that reason was. I kind of take back what I said earlier about not having a role model. Like Lucy Zelich was the first that I yeah. saw and I remember watching like World Cup after World Cup that she was the host of and saying to mum or dad or whatever, like that's what I want to do. Yeah. And so I'm, I, I met her this year. Yeah, wow. Oh, my God, I lost my shit when I met her. Yeah. Look at me. I'm going back to all of these questions you asked me before. She was the best and she knew about what I had done and she was like, I loved the work that you did on SBS and I was like, literally take me now. Like this yeah. is as good as it gets. But um, there was obviously a lot of pressure to make those segments, you know, as good as I could to do them justice, to to speak from the heart but then also like keep it professional because it's, it's quite an emotional journey talking about these things that – are such important memories for people like us. Um, But it was the best thing ever. Like I learned so much. I didn't try to overthink it. Yeah. I I didn't really think about the fact that it was like SBS. Yeah. Like just think of it as, you know, like any content that you do, you want to do a good job of it. Um, But then I, so I pre-recorded all of those and which was good. So I got them all done before the World Cup. And then I was able to kind of enjoy the episodes coming together and my bits were done. And then that tribute piece I did in like the final week of the world cup. And I put lots of effort into that one. And like I said, it's one of my favorite pieces, but I also worked on being sports with Nick Stav. Yeah. So we, I hosted and he co-hosted and he, he was the stat man for that. Um, A daily show where we got a different guest on every day. And we kind of broke down the games from the night before or from that morning 
Um, and I love doing that. So like that was really fun. And it was, it was like the early morning wake ups yeah. and producing a new show and hosting a show every day. So like I said, we were stuck in this like world of football and yeah. we'd have a day off and like we all wanted to be together because we all missed each other. Yeah. And it was just, um, I think I'll always look back at it as like one of the best moments in my life, like working on a world cup with the best crew of people um, who hopefully, you know, we continue to kind of work in football together and and be those faces that you yeah. guys see and that, yeah, we can create something really special for people. Yeah, that's mad. Yeah, it would it have been so best. cool. With your tribute piece, did you come across a book called The Life and Death of Australian Football? I did. He's from Katoomba. Yeah. Which is like mental Isn't, to me. Yeah, because you're, you're a Blue Mountains boy. Yeah. No one from the Blue Mountains besides Jed who I've mentioned yeah. like before. Yeah. Jed's like the only football influence. But Joe Gorman who wrote that book with uh, Andrew Dietrich mm. as the main person um, like throughout the theme yeah. is Dietrich. Wow. Um, yeah, that book like was like I read that last year and I learned so much about the game in Australia. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah, I've I learned so much making that piece. Like things I kind of took for granted, other things I felt like I kind of witnessed as well, yeah. which is kind of cool too because you, like I said, it takes you back to realising how far the game has come and like everything that Les and Johnny did in the game, when you actually think about it yeah, and how challenged they were by mainstream sport and media, sometimes I feel like I'm betraying them a little bit when I start talking about NRL and stuff yeah, and I'm like, yeah. I'm so sorry. Like I know you, like you were pioneers for the game, but I think it's just the Australian yeah. way that we have like varied interests. But I think it's like you never – I always want to see football progressing and I always want to see us doing more with it because it deserves to have as much attention as any other sport in Australia, if not more, because of how it impacts more lives. Yeah. It's still the most, the the sport has the most participation of any other sport in Australia. Yeah. But it's like the most, the least viewed on, on mainstream media as well. So it doesn't really make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for people listening that may not uh, be fully aware of the two men that we've mentioned. Yeah. Les Murray is like, basically, if you turned on the football, I still remember watching Champions League with my nonno at the age yeah. of 10 before school. Like le- hearing Les's voice is very comforting up until the day quit. Like, yeah, I agree. You just tuned in and if you heard Les's voice, you'd like slouch on the couch even if your team was at one all or whatever in the just 90th the best minute. Voice. Hungarian, Australian. Like yeah. He, he migrated from Hungary. So Les came from a generation of Hungarians who were like the best at football at the time, uh, which eventually produced Puskas, as you'd know the best goal goes to every year under yeah. that name for a reason. Yeah, yeah, one of the best strikers of all time. Les came from that generation and he was like the face of what was called Wogball at one point in time. I'm, a, I'm Italian. I'll get away with that. <laughs> but like – yeah, Les like was the first uh, Hungarian Australian, which was at the time a, a really big community for our football. Um, they were all based out at Bathurst as well, which is fascinating. Didn't know that. Yeah, and um, he was one of the guys who put faith in Attila Abonyi, who went on to be like one of our best ever. And yeah, so Les was like this voice that was kind of like everyone's grandfather in a way. He's just like very comforting the way he commentated, the way he yeah. spoke, yeah. and um, how leveled he was when. God love him, but like Craig Foster and stuff, when they get on the TV, even Boz, I'm a massive fan of Bosnich. Yeah. Like they speak with like a lot of animation. Yes. Whereas Les, no matter what he wanted to say, it was said with like a leveled approach and that kind of took away from arguments with people, yeah? yeah? And he then, had a calmness about him. Yeah. And then Johnny Warren's like the first Australian star boy. Like uh, I think he was raised in Cronulla or Wollongong maybe. Yeah. Is he a beach boy? I think it might be Wollongong. Yeah. Don't quote me. We'll yeah, double wolves. check that one. 
Yeah, yeah Wollongong Wolves. Yeah, so Johnny Warren, I'm pretty sure I could be so wrong, but he's like our first star boy. But Johnny Warren was the face of the game for yeah. so long, like yeah. John, like Johnny Warren medal still, yeah. like yeah. And it would have been hard to do that piece. Congratulations. Thank you. No, I I I loved it, and I mean for me it was the stories there. I just got to tell it in the best way possible. Yeah. Um, but. I think, you know, the story of Johnny Warren was one that I didn't know as well. I, I feel like I grew up more so, you know, seeing Les on SBS yeah. and everything like that. But understanding how Johnny was a pioneer in the way that he, you know, teamed up with the Wogs, yeah. as we call it. And then he saw the value in this game that other Aussies didn't. And I think, you like know. It was good too. It's, it's amazing, right? Yeah. To see, I think. We forget, and it, I guess for a female in this space too, like I'm nothing without the advocates who stand beside me yeah. and give my voice credibility as well. So like you've got to start somewhere. And Johnny played that role of being the Aussie face and playing that role to to assist yeah. the others in, in that kind of challenge that they had set themselves. And I think I grew an appreciation for his story as well that I didn't really have before. And then when I was at the Dolan Warren Awards a few weeks ago, I met his daughter. Oh, wow. Really and someone cool. had pointed her out to me because I didn't know what she looked like and just said, that's that's uh, Johnny Warren's daughter if you get a chance to say hi. You bet I did. Yeah. When found her like right at the end, like I'd had a couple of champagnes and I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, that's mad. Um, you know, introduced myself. I said, you know, I loved working on the piece for your dad and Les for the World Cup and it was just for me like it's those moments. That's what this is all about is like those full circle moments where you're meeting, you know, people that ultimately like without them, like your love of the game probably wouldn't exist. Like I kind of, my parents didn't raise me on football. Literally SBS wrote, raised me. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I, I was the kid that woke up and saw a few games on SBS and decided like, no, like there's something here. This yeah. is special. And I would just, love the game myself yeah. and like Les was the face that I'd look forward to seeing and Lucy was as well. Yeah. And I think it'll always be like that for me. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. What do you remember so I remember like my nonna nonna's house like laid out for me. Yeah. Because I get mum and dad both work full time. But I remember sitting with my nonna and he like funnily enough, people would think like he was fanatical. He didn't really give a fuck. His <laughs> his brother played for um oh sorry if I get this wrong. I think he, my grandfather's brother played for Bologna. Wow. But I don't think they were Serie A. But we're Fiorentina, Fiorentina fans. Okay. And, I remember uh, all of your. Yeah. So like Fiorentina, stuff. Bologna and Empoli be like, we don't get along because we're all from the same <laughs> thing. But um, yeah, like Nonno didn't really care, but he was really passionate about showing me the Milan teams at the time. So I remember Inter did the treble like, yeah. and Jose, that was my first exposure. Like he's a madman. Like, <laughs> yeah. How does he have a job? Yeah. Like I thought Amazing. he was nutter. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then. Like I still remember seeing uh, Mourinho cry on TV when he was saying goodbye to Matarati, was it, maybe? Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, like, I do remember. He re- like Because the story goes he doesn't get back on the bus because he knows he won't leave Inter to take nah, the job. Stop. Yeah, and then so one of the players comes and he's – one of the players crying, Mourinho's going and then comes back. Oh, uh, yeah. What a moment. Yeah, what a moment. But I remember, funnily enough, this is a very full circle moment, I remember Celtic games. Yeah. For whatever reason, there was one guy that stood out to me. He's a great guy, uh, Samaras. Yeah. And it turns out Samaras is half Australian. Didn't know it at the time. His dad was at South Melbourne at the time as well. Crazy, wow. eh? And I, that like hit me like a few weeks ago. That's talking amazing. To, talking to Stav actually, we yeah. were talking about it. Oh, Sporting Club Hellas. I realized Samaras yeah. was half Aussie. Okay. Aussie dad. 
who was born here and then the dad went back to Greece. Oh, my gosh. Um, but, yeah, and so, like, my earliest childhood memories of SBS was watching Samaras play for Celtic because I think they did Barcelona 2-1. Yeah. And then yes, I actually – that 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 exact fish is like coming up yeah. a lot. I got a lot of coverage. Especially with um, Celtics just all in the news recently. Yeah. Um, but do you have any fixtures or like memories you remember from SBS back in the day? Because I feel oh like people gosh. have different ones. I honestly don't have like those early, early memories. I think the the my football memories were playing. Yeah. And like how I got into the game and how I found the love of the game. Um like I said, you know, for me growing up watching the game was a very like lonely experience. It sounds really sad, but like I, I didn't come from a football family. Yeah. So it was – it took a lot of like energy to be like I'm going to get up on my own and go and watch these games and do whatever. But it was going to the games, watching my brother play or like when I was the only girl running around with the boys on the pitch. Like that was – those are the memories for me. Yeah. That are like the most poignant from my childhood because that's when I was like really trying to prove a point and really trying to like yeah. prove that I was like worthy of being on that pitch. And then I think it was like that love of watching the game, like the professional game came like a little bit later and that's why, you know, Les and that were, were so crucial for me because I was trying to find a love of like that professional game as well. But I think – if I was to pick like any team, it would have been like the Spanish national team, I think. Oh, yeah. Do you remember um, that left back? He ended up in India like two years later. Captavia. Like two years after winning the World Cup. Shortest amount of time I've ever seen anyone go from – because India got money before China. I remember that. Yeah, India India collect, were like the Saudi Arabia <laughs> Yeah, I used for to collect, a while. Um, what the fuck are they called? Panini? Yeah, Panini and cards. He, for some reason he just stuck out in my mind and – um. Gosh, I haven't heard that name in a really long time. Yeah, and he still sticks into my mind because he wasn't part of Real Madrid or Barca, no. which was fascinating. Because most of them were, yeah. Yeah, uh, the main contingent at least was, right? But he was the left back and then he ended up in India. But I remember him went from being like 10 thinking like, wow. That's like, wild. Yeah, and that was when then Wanderers got announced like a few years later. I was like, oh, like we can actually bring people over mm. who are – and then Del Piero signs for Sydney. It's like pretty, yeah. Those were the heydays. Oh, sorry. The yeah. Mic. Those were the heydays. Did you go to those games, like those derbies? I did. I used to go to a lot of Sydney FC games back then. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I was like freshly out of high school or like just barely out of high school. Like it was when people were walking from Central Station all the way mm. to the stadium and like the vibe was just there. Yeah. I was also working retail at Nike and like the crew of people I worked with were a lot of football fans including Robbie Speranza and they would all go to these Sydney FC games and so there was this energy around it and I would just jump on the bandwagon. Yeah, right. I yeah. can't stand Sydney. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Are you wondrous about oh, Yeah. But heart, like Marconi it would be. Of course. Well, it is Marconi. Yeah. Um, I still get to Marconi games when I can. I'm from the mountains, so I don't really actually have it. Mount Druitt Rangers is actually the closest. You're closest. But, yeah, I don't think they'll make the A-League too. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I kind of – Wanderers was like – because I learned – as a kid, you don't realise like the rich versus poor stuff. Mm. And I didn't know about the history of the game. I didn't know the A-League was fabricated. Like, mm. this sounds so bad. I'm sorry because you work in it. But I didn't realise it was I fabricated. I didn't make the decision. Yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> But like, you, like as a kid, you don't realize it's like fabricated. Yeah. Like you, I, for all my child brain, I thought these are like clubs of immigrants that have like come up and they've worked their way and there's backstories. And realize it's like I was five when it all started. Yeah. Um, 
I, I, like, I, I'll be honest, 16, it hit me when Henry, my mate, was playing for Marconi. Mm. I was like, oh, fuck, like um, this is the actual clubs. Yeah, before. these are the like the OG clubs, yeah. the history. Like they're the ones that were established by the migrants yeah. who moved here. But back to the – we touched on it before, the Betty Severe thing, yeah. that poor versus rich thing I saw. And I saw as a kid, even though I'm from the Blue Mountains, I saw this Westy narrative just driven mm. and like some of the – like what people would say online about Western Sydney and generalising people from Western Sydney as well. I was like, oh, fuck. It's a head doer, that one. Pardon? It's a head doer. Like oh, it's bad. Yeah. Feed um, into the, that narrative. Yeah. And I just saw the RBB as well and I – from watching European football, I knew what I wanted to see was that. I think that's what football's about is your, ult- I agree. your ultras if they behave. But like, yeah. Within reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'd seen Boca as well. That yeah. was like. The- oh, Boca Junior. I mean, they set the tone, right? Yeah. Like that that Argentina oh, it's nuts. derby is insane. Yeah. Like River Plate. Um, the state of the Boca stadium. Boca Juniors. It's like, yeah. The way they climb the fence. I mean, this was this is what I was saying to you earlier as well. Like. The, these rivalries that you see in La Liga are like nothing that you you get here because yeah. it has this like undertone of political rivalry and it's socio-political, all of it. So yeah. it's whether it's the rich versus the poor or if it's for, for the for El Clasico, like people don't even realise how deep that history is. Yeah. It's not just Barcelona versus Real Madrid. It's Catalonia versus the yeah. rest of Spain. It's the that independence, that fight for independence versus, uh, like the ruling of a a full, yeah, na- a royal family. Like, it's so deeply rooted in socio political like affairs that it makes it so much more interesting. And the Sevilla derby is like that as yeah. well. And I felt like that filtered into the Wanderers thing, a hundred percent. And then the best thing that even like as a Wanderers supporter, just as a fan of football, the Sydney FC. Victory one was fascinating because yeah. that was just your typical two big clubs. Um, geographically, even though they're not close, it's kind of like that. Um, I, I agree. You know what I mean? Like a like London that. versus Manchester. It is like thing. that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then we come along and Victory had a very high ethnic population similar to us. So they're naturally just born a massive rivalry because we did so well yeah. early on. And that was like all really fun and games. And then I felt like, I don't know, it kind of died after mm. a while. The music kind of died when we let mm. Del Piero go. Yeah, agreed. And we let Shinji go. Yeah. Newcastle let Heskey go, which never gets talked about. And for no matter what you say, like it's one of the biggest names the league's ever had, even though he wasn't very good. <laughs> Fuck, he was pretty bad. <laughs> but um, like and then we replaced – I can't remember who Sydney replaced Del Piero with. Was it Ninko? I might have been. Oh, I don't know if there was anyone between the two of them. Yeah, there might have been one or two guys. But um, Sid, like we failed to replace Shinji to this day. Um, to this day, like you, you haven't really had a, you haven't really had a name like that. Nah, should have been um, Omar Abdel Rama. Said it when I was. 15. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I'll show you his highlights. You really after. do stand by that name. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Um, but yeah, like we replaced Shinji with Vitor Saba, who I love. He still loves Wonders. Like he still posts about them and stuff. Love that. Yeah, but like, um, and Victory kind of. Do you remember Matthew Delpierre? Mm. We, that he was failed to be replaced. I felt like that's when the music started to die. Yes. And Barisha got old and we haven't really replicated they, the day. It's almost like it's just the momentum came down and there was no effort to kind of yeah. rebuild. And then they, I think they kept trying to tap in with like foreign talent and then it took mm. Graham Arnold of all people to go like, no, nah, we need to 
take the Australians here and put them on a pedestal. Yeah. And we also need to recognise we're not competing with the European leagues. We're a feeder. Yes. There's nothing wrong with that. No, Even, just stay in your lane. Like yeah. know the role that you play in football. And if you are, like you said, a feeder for other clubs, be be that and be good at it. Yeah. Do it well. Yeah. And it's the like same. Don't with like, try and be something else. Yeah. Same with like MLS. Like they still send their young guns. Like Aston Villa signed that Colombian on a $10 million mm-hmm. deal. There's this Ferreira kid at DC United. Like, um, and Pepe, have you seen him? He's like over in Holland. But like they still ship them out, even though they could keep them. The money's there. Like they know their role. Yeah. yeah. Argentina's the exact same. They yeah, know Benfica's going to come knocking, Porto, like yeah. um, Ajax, they're all going to come knocking. They realize like it's just a constant cycle. We need to realize that as well. Yeah, I agree. It's part of the nature. It I works agree. for Argentina. It works for America for the most part. Like, And you, you get your talent, you have your fun with it, and then you look at what's next. Yeah. Like you said, make it about developing the talent then. Like stop trying to keep the best. Yeah. Create the best. Yeah, 110%. And like yeah. Wanderers finally did that with Brendan Borrello. It's like let's bring, let's bring the boy home. Yeah. Kwame Yaboa was kind of the experiment for that. Yeah. He, he works but he he just wanted to do modelling. But like Brendan Borrello <laughs> was the same. He just <laughs> – Funnily enough, one of my mates from the mountains is actually like the guy who shoots him all the time. Do you know what's funny is my friend who knows nothing about football, she's a stylist, asked me about Kwame the other day because she yeah, has he, styled him on shoots before. He doesn't tell anyone. And she said to me, does, does that Kwame guy still play football? And I was like, that's a really good question. I don't think so. Nah. Um, Jack was telling me, shout out Jack. Yeah, Jack was saying like they didn't realise till like they eventually after a while he's like, oh, yeah, here's my Instagram. Then they scroll and they're like, dude, like, are you a professional footballer? He's like, nah, I was. He didn't tell them. Like he didn't go in. I said to Jack, like he played in the Bundesliga. Jack's like, what's that? I was like, top five league. <laughs> like if he if he was consistent there, he like becomes a national superstar. And Jack's Insane. Like, like, yeah, crazy. Um, what are your thoughts on – like footballers and athletes kind of pursuing that second. Like, we, you know, we talked about Josh Adokar. He's got all these other yeah. things going on for himself. I, I have an opinion around like as long as you're kind of doing a good job on the pitch. Or pursue. just having a crack. You don't yeah. even have to be performing that well. Yeah, like doing your job. Yeah. By all means, like go go do your thing. Like I've always thought like Hector Bellerin, for example, kind of has always been able to do yeah. both. But then he kind of fucked up, didn't he? Yeah. But, I mean, he's played for some sick clubs. Is there any girls that are like the Hector Bellerin of women football that are like just fashionable as fuck? Well, um, Trinity Rodman would be. Right. I haven't heard her name before. Hey. Dennis Rodman's daughter. Oh, true. That is so yeah. stupid of me. No, 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 no. But, like, I don't think people realise, like, how famous she is. Yeah. Before even being a footballer. And on top of all of being, you know, that Robin's daughter yeah. being she's she's a I wouldn't say she's a fashionista but she looks great and she's got this really sick Instagram and like yeah. her whole her whole image is really cool. On top of that, she's a baller as well. Yeah, she's the first name that comes to mind. Yeah, right. But I think in terms of doing it for themselves, I don't know. Like you obviously have like your Sam Kerr's and stuff that are like signed to Nike and like they're always dripped out and they look really good, but. um I think I feel like that's where men's sports a little bit further advanced because leveraging brands. Yeah, they they yeah. also probably feel like they have a bit more freedom to do things like that. Like you yeah. look at, you know, Benzema and, and Mount and like all these players that have like sick style and Instagrams and yeah. they have fun with it because they can. Yeah, I yeah. think the way forward to answer your question is the Flamini and Braithwaite approach. Mm-hmm. Surround yourself with people who know who came from. Fuck all money, but know what to do with money. You know how the language of money works. That's a good point. I think like the Nike brand deals and stuff, like obviously leveraging while 
you're got Rel- that th- while yeah. you need it. Yeah, yeah. But I think Braith- like Braithwaite for people listening, there's this Danish striker named Martin Braithwaite. Shit. <laughs> oh, he played for Barcelona and whatnot at their worst time, but he still played for them. But like average striker, and he's the third richest footballer in the world technically because of the property investment company that he started with his uncle who knew what to do with money. Like his wow. uncle knows what to do with money. He obviously has the capital. Yeah. Um, and Flamini linked up with a scientist when he was in Milan and they started the, um, what's it called? The environmental food company. Mm. And so they're like some of the top 10 richest footballers. I think that's the way forward. Yeah. I think that's a great point. Is companies that aren't like brand, like any, any footballer can start a brand, do the deals and stuff. But I also think it's really cool when um, like Cameron, do you see Cameron Vinger did the thing with Cortez? No. Cortez is like the big uh, English streetwear brand at the moment. Yeah. They do like random things like they'll go to Camden Markets, do a pop-up and then shut down. And then they'll do like a random, they'll pop up in London, put it on their story and there's like thousands of kids there. Oh my gosh. And they're a black owned brand. So what they did was any puffer jackets that you have that aren't a black owned brand, you bring them in, you trade them in, we'll give you a Cortez puffer. And we'll give those puffers to kids in need. And like, yeah, cool, eh? So So Camavinga did a shoot with them and that was pretty cool. I think that's like the way forward. I love that. I feel like if I wasn't doing what I'm doing now, I'd want to be involved in stuff like that. Yeah. It's so cool. I definitely want to start doing that. I feel like Mitch Austin's like the only one I can kind of figure out is kind of tapping into it. But he's not playing football at the same time. You know what I mean? So it's, it's kind of hard, but they just need people around them. Yeah. It's all about network. Yeah. Mitch Austin's definitely done a good job of, like you said, you know, he's, he's had challenges with his playing career because of injuries yeah. and stuff like that, things that have slowed him down. He was so quick. Holy shit. Oh, I mean, he shows off his FIFA cards all the time. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> but, um, but he's, you know, like looking to diversify and you can see kind of like he's clearly smart and innovative because yeah. he's looking at all of these other ways of like diversifying his brand. Yeah. yeah Diego really Yotta cool. does the same. Yeah. He, Diego Yotta. Do you like know much about like foot champs? No, not really. So like that, like FIFA weekend league, yeah, which is like, where like Stav plays it, this right? This is the, the FIFA area is a very gray area for me. Yeah. So Diego Yotta was ranked number one player in the world yeah. on FIFA. Yeah. Like at the time, which yeah. is like nuts. Makes no sense. Yeah. No, um, it kind of makes sense, but not really. But then he started getting involved with like all the FIFA YouTubers. I think that's like cool things to do. That's you know what I mean? sick. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's the way forward, but yeah. I don't know. Footballs is hard. NRL players and AFL AFL players don't do it at all. No. They need to tap into it way more. Yeah, they, um, they don't really do any of that. Like Unions. Christian Petrucker having a, a TikTok is like the most innovative thing in the yeah. AFL. He does well on TikTok too. He does do well. People um, love him. Yeah. But uh, Union's by far the worst. They are so far behind. Yeah. It, I mean, people don't really know them the way that they recognise yeah. other players. And if you're not from New Zealand... You won't know the All Blacks, but some of the All Blacks players are the only ones that are like trying. Yeah. Um, but Kiwis are naturally pretty cool, so they can yeah. kind of they can just they just talk it. and people are like yeah yeah get around it <laughs> yeah especially All Blacks they're like seen as like gods yeah you know they I mean? are cool to yeah be fair. um something I wanted to touch base with you on is the Saudi yeah at the time of recording people may be listening to this in a year <laughs> Saudi football and for people that aren't aware Saudi football has been given two hundred billion. No, 20 billion. No, I think. I think it's more than that. It's Could, a, it's a it's shit. Either 20 of billion or 200 billion. The government has given it. So the clubs actually don't have that money, even though they do have a lot of money. So the Saudi government has pumped all this money into football. And basically, the government is signing players. Um, so Ronaldo was signed in January. That was very high profile. But now you're Benzema, Goli Kante, Koulibaly, who aren't even at the age to be going, in my opinion. 
especially Kante. Too young. Yeah. Um, and even they signed that Medeiros from Braga, who's like 25. That was interesting. So Ruben Neves, who I actually saw a Wolves post where Wolves. So did, I saw it too where he was all emotional. Yeah. It was written. About moving. Yeah. He, it was written so beautifully. Um, it was so nice. And, and then the comments were just like sell out. Yeah. And everyone's like, yeah, but you wouldn't say no to that much money. But like he wrote it from the perspective like he's actually just saved Wolves financially for another year because yeah. Wolves aren't really good with their money apparently. And so apparently yeah. that 55 million is going a really long way in just sustaining current Good things on him, going man. on. Yeah, like the way that was approached. But Ruben Neves is probably one of the best footballers I've ever seen play for a team that's outside your typical top yeah. eight. Um, and he went to Al Hilal for 60 million, which is crazy. Wanderers beat Al Hilal 2014. <laughs> um, <laughs> they had this striker who was a rat. He spat at Spranovic. Do you remember that? I actually don't remember. Nasi Al Shamrami. Your brain. He, do, do you not remember that? After we won it, Spranovic is like standing over him to give him oh, a Oh, no, I do remember. I do remember. And then he spin. came for the Asian Cup in 2015 and he got into a fight with his own teammate. Yeah. I, I can't. We all know someone like that, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so there's all this money being pumped into it. Obviously the big thing for viewership mm. is like the female aspect on it. Yes. Um, widely being discussed, Ronaldo never wifed up his girlfriend. No, at the he time. got government approval to let his girlfriend yeah. enter. So the Saudi rule was you had to uh, be married, yeah. right, which is rightfully so, like not rightfully so fuck but like it's their culture yeah it's their culture so to speak um and then they basically backtrack on it for ronaldo who for whatever god-given reason i'm pretty sure she's the mother of his yeah children. like four of them yeah just not the oldest one right yeah yeah um is not married to this woman but they let him come into the country with her yeah and then females aren't allowed at the games or are they starting to i don't actually know the exact ins and outs at the of that. start it, they weren't no. i remember that look i mean we're talking about a country that like the women's rights are if existent minimal yeah um i would imagine that say if i lived in saudi arabia i wouldn't be working and doing the things that i'm doing now i would be far more challenged in terms of opportunity um, I don't even think they have a Saudi female league. Like I don't think women yeah, play over there. And if they do, like it's it's not the same as the as the men's. By the way, like I'm I'm saying this not as somebody who's like super knowledgeable about the Saudi yeah. league. I just know that um, you know, there's a lot of issues around Saudi investment in football, especially in women's football. Like Saudi Arabia tourism was supposed to be a major sponsor of the Women's World Cup and they rejected it. Because there was so much protesting from yeah. from organizations that were just essentially saying like you're gonna let a country advertise that like wouldn't even give the women playing in this tournament the freedom to do what they're doing. Yeah. It's just this it's very it is a lot of hypocrisy. Yeah. It's hard to know where to stand on it because like well, the thing with the sponsorship, that's so hard. Olin yeah. raised it perfectly yeah. at the time. Yeah. Is where's the trade off for money? that can give the opportunities to your morals. True, true. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I'm like, I fucking hate sellers. I hate gambling sponsors. I think it's the ugliest thing you have on a football game. Yeah, kid. I agree. Um, and like we're inundated with betting all over any sport. But like at the same time, if there's a certain amount being offered on sponsorship that we're not going to get anywhere else, mm. is it worth taking the money and being able to put that into infrastructure for women's football? That's like, you know what I mean? I think that's the, that's the, that's the hard part I find. That's the silver lining to a difficult decision. Yeah. Right. I think 
if you can justify taking it on and showing proof that the investment is fighting the cause, then do what you got to do. Yeah. I think we live in a world where we're constantly challenged. Our morals are constantly challenged um, in every way, shape and form. Yeah. And like in sport, it's gambling, it's this, it's that, it's the gender inequality. It's all these things that if you look at too closely, none of it looks great. Yeah. Like I just mentioned earlier, like all the issues in the women's national teams. I think if FIFA can prove that that money is going somewhere good, you might get people on board. But I also think where it's such a an, a difficult period in the growth of women's sport where players are finding their voice that they didn't have before. Like that's why you see this boycotting. That's why you see like Wendy Renard able to basically see the French manager get dismissed because she's powerful enough as a player yeah. that her speaking up will actually make internal changes. If people aren't happy with a decision like that, I feel like the ripple effects could be far worse than yeah. than saying no to a sponsorship. Yeah. I think you you take all these steps forward for women's sport and like the progress progress that you're making, but you can take so many steps back by accepting a sponsor that doesn't stand for like the basic human rights of females. Um and once again, you know, I'm not an expert on that by any means, but as an Arab woman, like I wouldn't feel at all like I'm empowered when I'm somewhere like Saudi Arabia. I don't think. And I haven't been there. Is it on my list of places to go? Probably not right now. If that changes in the future and they decide to change, you know, like the the way it is for women, then by all means. But like I have a friend who moved there when I was like when we were younger and, you know, she's always commented on how different life was there. You know, they live in complexes and they cover up when they leave the home. And I know that's the story for a lot of Muslim countries, Islamic countries, but it's it's not about the the Islamic element. It's about just the basic human rights being yeah not a part of like everyday conversation for women. Yeah, it's so deep. Yeah, it's um, and then it's also not that deep because it's like the it's, to me it's very obvious. Yeah, what's fixed, what's right, and what's not. Yeah, take the investment in men's football then, and then just make sure that there's there's a ripple on the ripple effect, and that it does benefit the women's game. Yeah. The Middle East has a lot of problems with football yep. at the moment. Um, Syria and the Syria teams as well. And um, I'm pretty sure the women's team in Syria or Iraq had serious issues. Um, Afghanistan. Well, Afghanistan has Is been it, really bad. What were the women's players standing up for and which country was their civil unrest? Was Iran. It, yeah, that was bad. Iran was really bad. So like people, like women have died playing football in Iran. Yeah. And once again, it's not an area that I know heaps about, but I have a Persian friend who like knows a lot about this and she would get very emotional about like the situation in Iran because if her parents had chosen to stay there, like she never would have even been able to attend games. Yeah. Crazy. Imagine yeah. that. Like it's as simple as like allowing a female in a stadium is something that up until recently and it's because FIFA fought for it that women weren't allowed in stadiums. They couldn't yeah. view football. It was it was haram. It was like don't you dare do that. It's it's not your place. Yeah. And I think like God, like what would I have done yeah. growing up if I'd, if I'd grown up somewhere like that? It would be a completely different life. Do you know uh, Jürgen Lacardia? Mm-mm. Played for Brighton, Dutch striker. Dutch striker. Tattoos, very good looking man. I probably do know them. Looks like Memphis. 
Oh, okay, um, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He played for Brighton before this Brighton class come through. Okay. So maybe like two or three years ago he was at Brighton. Um, I'll, I will Google him. Yeah, he's a Dutch guy. He's, he was rapid. Um, but he played in Germany before that at Bochum. Could be wrong. Then he went to America after Brighton. So Brighton, he didn't really get a chance once okay. Callum Ferguson came through and stuff okay. like that or Evan. Um, and then he goes to America. America ship him off to Perth Bolas, who's the biggest club in Iran for everyone listening. Um, I think Anthony Golick played for them. Really? Or Sheriff. Sheriff's the other one, Sher- I think. Sheriff's. Or maybe that's another country. I'm so Sheriff's sorry for getting this wrong. Iran. Yeah, right. So they shift. But Locardia anyway. gets shifted off to Perth Bolas and – he put up a post within like three months, basically like fucking get me out. Once he got out, he's a free agent still to this mm, day. Shit. He's just living in Germany or uh, Holland. But he put up a post on like what he saw. Mm. He didn't allow comments on it. Um, but I was reading it and I was like, holy fuck. Because I, I I look at transfer market like mm. during the window and I'd seen he went to uh, Perspolis at the time and I'm pretty sure Ruin Tonyuk's there right now mm. from Wanderers Old yeah. Defender. And um, I kind of like looked at it and then I remember if like randomly he popped up my Instagram and I had a look at it and I was like, holy shit. Like he was saying like I've seen dead bodies in the street. Um, I've seen like like miniature bombs basically of like cars getting blown up and stuff like that. He's like, yeah, like this country's fucked. That's so messed up. He's like up. footballers are dying. Like people in my league were dying. That's so messed up. Yeah. It's crazy, eh? they got it's a lot to fix a, over it's there. A, it's a whole other – like yeah. it's just – it's a it's another world, yeah. quite literally, and it's one of those things where, like I said, you know, football is so much more than sport because it it gives you access to information like that. Like yeah, we wouldn't we wouldn't have known that, and we're we're so censored from things like that yeah. in in Australia, and like that's why even as a female who loves football, like sometimes what I do for my job like wouldn't even be possible in in other countries. Yeah. So it's like it's being grateful and it's being like aware of that and um, yeah, it's cra- It's just crazy to think how different certain people's experiences are in life yeah. just because of where they live. Have to on a lighter note, but also on a similar note, Lebanon, mm-hmm. men's wise, women's wise, no women's. No, not there. There is a women's national team. That's a start. Not done very well. Yeah. Similar with the men's. Do you think if they tapped into Australian football and they took Reckon a similar they'd give me approach? The call the, up. Yeah. I hope so. But do you have think, my time to shine. You like you'd know girls that would be Lebanese that are actually quite good. Yeah. Um and women's football's at a level where you could take like MPL girls yeah. and they would go play. And like, you could take the whole Rattle Me squad. Um because <laughs> they're all Lebanese anyway. Yeah. And just get them to represent Lebanon. Um do you think that would like that? I think it's a great idea. Yeah. I'm sure. Look, when I you. I want my royalties. Fair. <laughs> you know what? I have to draw the comparison to like the Lebanon rugby league team yeah. and how like 90% of that team comes from Australia. Yeah. They're all like dual passport or like, you know, they have some kind of lineage um, to Lebanon because they realize that in order for Lebanon to do well, like go where the talent is, go where the funding is, go where they've yeah. been kind of brought up with those facilities and it's proof it, it works. Like yeah. Lebanon were able to qualify for the next one, you know, like it's it's stepping stones to creating a better team. 
I think by all means, like the Football Association of Lebanon, whatever they're called, should follow the footsteps of kind of like the rugby league and, yeah. and look to do the same thing because it's worked. Why they didn't do it in the men's is shocks me so far. Yeah. It's, it's a great point. And to be quite honest, it's not something I'd ever really thought about. But then when you look at how successful, you know, the, the Lebanon rugby league team is, like why wouldn't the, the football team try and do it as well? Set up a base here. Yeah. And have like a train-on squad. For all we thing. know, they're doing that. Yeah. They, they And if you do know, like yeah. let us know because um, I wouldn't be surprised if there is, is there is a connection to certain clubs here and if they're keeping an eye on talent. Um, I think it might also just be a case of like if, if a Lebanese-Australian is good enough here, are they vying to play for Lebanon or are they hoping for that Australia spot? Yes. And then you've got the Volpato conversation all over again and nobody wants to have that conversation. But it, I guess it's that idea of like big fish in a small pond or, yeah. you know, try and make it big here in Australia. Yeah. I noticed with Lebanese players, a lot of them are in Sweden. There's a large Lebanese population in, right. in Sweden. There's a few countries uh, randomly in in Europe and whatnot that, that have quite large Lebanese populations. Sweden's one of them. Yeah. Don't know why. Yeah. I don't know why. Um, but... Yeah, I'm not. I wouldn't be surprised by that. And also, if they're half Swedish, then they're gonna have some height on them too. Yeah. <laughs> so why not? Um, Volpato conversation quickly. What are your yeah. thoughts? Because I'm happy to share mine. I kind of want to hear yours first because you're you're the Italian Australian. Like you're the one who like can kind of put yourself into his shoes. Yeah. Um. If I'm him and I get chewed up and spat out by Australian football, why would I not pick Italy? Yeah. Saying that, being an Italian fan. Chiesa, Tonali, he doesn't have much of a chance. Yeah. I like It goes both ways, right? Yeah, God love him. Like have a fucking crack, right? Yeah. But also being a Serie A fan, um, Zaleski is like this Polish kid that Mourinho puts all his faith into on the right-hand side or the left-hand side. Mm. He's a wing-back and he puts his faith into kids randomly, Mourinho. Yeah. One would wonder why not Volpato. Yeah. Right? Um. So, yeah, and, and like – they're saying, oh, you'll go to Sassuolo. Mm. I still don't think besides Barati, you actually have an Italian footballer there. Mm-hmm. They've produced Raspadori and Scamacca. So it's kind of like if you just look at stats and history, mm. what's to say he will represent Italy? And if he does, what well, it won't be consistent. Yeah, I think he should choose Australia. But do I blame a man? He got like Jed played with him at one No, I, I know. He's, yeah. He copped it. Like he just got chewed up, spat out, and like Italy took a chance on him, yeah. like the Italian system. And we wouldn't have – even the choice of him if he stayed in this country. Like there's no Volpato if he stays in Australia. You know what I mean? So, I think I, I agree with you. I think I also grew up in the same area as Volpato. Like I've, yeah. he went to Joey's. I went to the school down the road from there and, and I kind of knew of him all through high school in terms of like him being one of the best players there. And as far as I know, you know, he showed a lot of talent from day one but he, he wasn't given – the opportunities and whether that is, and I like to play devil's advocate, you know, like there are always more than one side to the story. You know, yeah. there, there's the attitude thing. There's having a chip on your shoulder. If you feel like you're hard done by and you don't give, you, you know, it's where you put your energy as well. It's like, how are you, are you trying to develop those relationships or are you bitter and you're just waiting for an opportunity to leave? Yeah. Like, that's not me saying that that's what he was like, but I always wonder like, if you feel that way and you're willing to, to go, do you even really want to play for Australia? Like yeah. is, is there that as well? 
But as somebody who like, you know, if the opportunity was there, I could play for Lebanon, Australia or Ireland because my mom's Irish. I don't know where I would play. Would you just go where you're going to do better? Yeah. It's it's that question I, again. Where you're going to play more. Yeah, where you're going to play more, exactly. Yeah. Where's going to develop you better? Yeah. You might develop better in Italy, but you'd get more game time in Australia. So yeah. like that's your decision to make. I agree with you wholeheartedly though that if he feels hard done by, then by all means like play where you feel wanted, play yeah. where you feel respected, um, where you're valued. I couldn't believe he turned down the World Cup at the last minute. Yeah. So for people listening, Volpato got a call from Arnie, Arnie's words, I think days before, I think the night before no, they picked. No, it, was, it was day, I think it was the night before the squad was picked because yeah. then it kind of made headlines. Yeah, Arnie basically called him and said, you've got a spot, do you want it? And yeah. he said no. Um, the other thing is like I don't know who's in his team. That's the other thing. I also know from, you know, Jonah Football. Yeah. Jonah Football knows Volpato very well. Yeah, because he trained him, eh? Yeah. Yeah. And he said that Volpato called him. Yeah. About the Arnie call and was like, what do I do? Yeah. I don't know if I'm supposed to say this. No, that's fine. We can cut it out if you want. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, I'm not going to say anything bad. Yeah. Like they're very close. Like he he obviously called people close to him and said like, give me, like, what should I do? And I think Jonah also encouraged him to make the decision that felt most right for him yeah, and his journey. Fully and hard. he did that and yeah. that's what he did. And and I, I think he copped too much slack for that. Like yeah. I, I do feel bad for him because – we're all going to make decisions in our career that like if done on a stage in front of people, high profile, plenty of people are going to disagree with the choice that we decide to make. But I think, you know, he did what was right for him. Also think with Volpato is he's, fuck, this sounds horrible because he's Australian. I hate tall poppy syndrome, right? Mm. But like watching the football, he's not as good as people are trying to make themselves believe. Mm. He doesn't play as much for Roma as people want Mm. to think. Yeah. Um, and he plays in the Primavera and he was actually MVP, which yeah. is like the under-23s league. league. Yeah. But like I'd rather see him and Seti B playing and he would be my first pick or, or like, I don't know, S- Swedish first division, Danish yeah. first division. If he's playing every week in like a division full of men that are competing yeah. in Champions League, yeah. Conference League, that's when you'd like pick him and that's when I'd be way more torn on it. Mm. Like he's still a kid. Yeah. But I don't he's know. still young. Yeah, and if never he does say pick no, like never say no, right? Like yeah. it's it's still the conversation's still ongoing. Yeah, but in saying that, like the new generation is kind of like we're in good hands, but it's kind of I always get scared because I'm like, are we gonna fuck it up now? <laughs> now you know when we like, yeah, but it, that's like the imminent threat of fucking yeah. up is always there. Yeah, um, but Nestroy and Garansky are like yeah, just Garansky. yeah, he's he's the goat, that kid. But yeah, those two just kind of like. I think they alleviated the pressure of the conversation. A hundred percent. Especially Nestroy. He, because Garang kind of like was already. People, like he's so good, man. And he's yeah. so young. I don't know how he can be that good that young. No. I don't know how he can have a foot like that. No. Like the power he generates. It's it's beyond his years. Yeah. Um, But he's still a kid. Like when you see him like walking around, you're like, you are 17. But on yeah. a football pitch, you're like, <laughs> you should be like 28. Like yeah. the way you play is so beyond your years. But yeah, I think it's a very exciting time it we're is. in. And I'm glad that conversation kind of subdued because funnily enough like other countries have it about our players mm. like um there's a kid called tristan hammond who plays mm. in austria mm. he's peruvian there was a massive conversation for peru heading into the world cup like do we want to cap this kid mm. we, weren't, we, we weren't even looking at him like in their qualifiers they were like oh we want to get this kid 
he currently represents Australia. Alex Robertson's another one. Yeah. Peru, like Peru hate us, not because we knocked them out, but because like they've actually got a few players that could represent. Uh, yeah, because they're both. Yeah. Um, Alex Robertson was a big one. That's the one that I'm most excited about. Mm. If you're in a treble winning team, any competition in the world, yeah. yet alone to be Man City, yeah. you're going to know something about something yeah. along the you're way. You're going to know a little something. Um, something. Especially with this morning, Gundogan left. So very exciting times yes. for our um, national team. But no, I think you're right. We're in, we're in good hands. Like there's a lot of emerging talent. And I think the the World Cup showed us that as well. That yeah, we've got it. Yeah, like, we don't. We know what we need, and we've got like the momentum that we need as well. And I think we've got the right people involved in the game. Yeah. And the the bigger the game gets, the better because that talent will find itself. Yeah. Well, that was like Central Coast. Like, um, you and I both know where Silvera is going. Yeah. So I, I don't know if it's public. Uh, heading overseas. And then you had Nectar, um, who's a Wanderers. Re- Wanderers are fucking it up. But they fucked it up with Volpato and now they yeah. fucked it up with Triantis. Uh, he's going to Sunderland, which is a massive club. It's yeah. so impressive. Um, so, yeah, Wanderers fuck it up a bit. But Triantis going over to Sunderland and, like, mm-hmm. Harry Suter making his way up to the Premier League from the Socceroos game. Um, and then being relegated. Being relegated back down. <laughs> that sucks so much, but unlucky to him. And then we've obviously got, like, taken over the Scottish League. And then the Belgian League signed three. In the one window. It's fucked, hey. Jordan Boss, Aiden O'Neill, and uh, Keegan. Boss is so good. Yelisic. Boss against Argentina was very impressive. Yes. I thought he'd, uh, I thought he'd get just hammered. Yeah. I didn't. I like. I. I, I rate him highly. Mm. I think he's probably City's best prospect. Oh, Tilio's heading over as well yep. to Scotland. Um, I thought Boss would get hammered, and he like. I had. I saw online like Argentinians commenting like, "I wonder if this kid like is this kid stuck in Australia like mm. making fun of our league?" But like, dead. That's kind of funny. Yeah, but they were like, <laughs> "I wonder like where this kid's gonna end up." Like yeah. they were just. And it's funny to see like other national teams be like, oh, fuck, like this kid. Yeah, yeah. like noticing the talent. Yeah. yeah. It was the same with um, Arzani against France. It was like yeah. French people were very invested as to like, oh, is this kid in Australia still or like yeah. what's he doing? Like, yeah. Does he want to come over here? Isn't that funny? But um, look, we'll finish it up because it's 9.30. <laughs> it's been two and a half hours. It's actually quite impressive. Um, <laughs> is this also the longest one you've done? Or? Yeah, this is most probably the longest one I've done. Um, Finally. Best advice for young people trying to find their way in life. You went through it. You, I did. You were in a good career it, it seems, hey. I love my job. Like yeah. I'm, I genuinely, you know, I have to get up at 4.30 in the morning. Yeah. But I'm working on up to sport. It's a, I'm presenting, you know, like a daily football show. Life's good. I love what I do. I feel very privileged to like be where I'm at now. Like very grateful for it. But, you know, it's taken a hot minute to get there and it's been a weird journey. It wasn't a linear, like, traditional journalism journey by any means. It was kind of like I always knew what I wanted to do and it was just about making little – taking steps that would get me a little bit closer every time. Um, My advice would be what Jules Breach taught me. And, you know, granted, if you can have a role model or, like, identify somebody who's kind of in the position that you want to be in – find a way to reach out to them and ask them questions and do those things because like if you don't ask, the answer's always no. Yeah. But I was fortunate to meet Jules and her advice was so straightforward but like I always think about it whenever I'm kind of procrastinating the next step and it was like just start. Don't be a perfectionist about it. Have high standards for yourself but if you're thinking about starting a blog or starting an Instagram page or starting a TikTok and telling stories and doing your – 
whatever the content is that you're kind of thinking of, just start. Yeah. Because there will never be the perfect time. You will never have all your ducks in a row where you'll just know everything and it will feel right. And I'm sure you can vouch for this yourself. That one day you just had to make the call. I've sat on this idea for a little while. I'm just going to do it. And that's what I did. And I got a little better every time, you know, I would do it again. But like if you don't start, it's just sitting there as an, as an idea. So I think where I am right now was a culmination of like all the little steps that I made and they eventually snowball because you meet the right people and they help you, you know, find that next opportunity. But um, ultimately like the power is within yourself and with social media and technology these days, like everybody can create. Yeah. So my advice is just start. I 110% agree. Yeah. Yeah. I um even the Sunday league things. Yeah. That I put up. One of them got 100k on um, TikTok. I love That's those. Mental. It's such good. It's such good content. It's fun. <laughs> Fuck a cop it at the game today. It's pretty bad. Who cares? It's fun. You know they they say um like you know you kind of get judged or or whatever for yeah. those things when you've got a few viewers, but all of a sudden you know you've got a hundred thousand and people wish they'd done it. Yeah, yeah. So it's like you, every next piece that you make could be the thing that. Yeah. That leads you to that next big opportunity. And you, it's nice to see it like that because it keeps it exciting. Yeah. I think, yeah, you just yeah. got to do it. Um, Big guy in football that's just doing it while I'm at it is like Joe K. Did you see his series he started? Yeah. Joe K. I had him on my BN Sports show at, yeah. in December. And, you know, he, he had one of the smaller followings of like the people that we had on. But like, I, I made sure to have people on that just knew about the game and that were passionate yeah. and – he sat down and he knows so much about the game and he's so between the men's and the women's and like showing love for like all aspects of the game. Yeah. He deserves every success and and it's really cool to see creators like that doing their thing. Yeah. Genuinely. Gonna, yeah, he's like yeah, he did what I, I thought about doing it, but I was like, I can't dedicate the time because I play on Sundays. Yeah. But he did like the around the B League where he's going to the games, showing people. Isn't that cool? Yeah. It's that's so like, cool. That's what it's that's, all about. That's commitment and that's passion and that's something you're never going to get from a broadcaster, like that yeah. same amount of passion that you get from that independent creator who like he's spending money himself. out of his own pocket to go and create that content for people. It's amazing. Yeah. I say this with like the most sincere compliment. Joe, I know you're listening. Les Murray would love that shit. Oh, he he would absolutely love yeah. it. There's yeah. There's so many of Australian football in pastimes that would like adore that content if they were around to see it. Like, I agree. That's the epitome of everything we should be doing. That's what it's all about. But look, we're going to end it here. Where can people <laughs> find you on socials? At Kat Haddad. That's H-A-D-D-A-D because people always get my surname yeah. wrong. Um, I'm on TikTok as well, kicking off with Kat and... You can check out Optus Sport, YouTube and the app if you're on it. Um, and I'll be all over their socials for the World Cup too. So check it out. How exciting. Yeah. That all starts in like a week, you reckon, or two weeks for coverage? So the coverage will start, I'm pretty sure, like game day one. So the 20th of July. But socials will be covering kind of like that lead up to the first game um, from a, probably like the 16th or something. Are they played many games beforehand or they're not playing any? There's one game that they're playing um, called like the farewell game, but it's actually more of like. Yeah, warm up. Warm up game. Yeah. For the World Cup. But I don't know if they're playing before that. Yeah. Well, but that's in two weeks anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Because the men's don't really, they play like pretty far out i'm pretty sure yeah. don't they or maybe they, they have only... one game before yeah 
Well, I think that's what this farewell game is. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm like, don't play too much, girls. Like, let's yeah. save the injuries. Look yeah. after yourselves. It'll be very interesting when I'm in camp um, to see kind of like yeah. what the vibe so is. Sick. Yeah. So I don't know how much contact I'll have with the girls directly. I mean, yeah. they're in the middle of training for a World Cup, but it'll be cool just, just for the energy and the vibe to see what's yeah. going on. What's cracking. Yeah. Um, as always, like, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff. See you next week.